0: Okay, I've talked for three hours about art, and the only art I want to see is the blood from my skull splattered onto the wall I have to stare at for the next three hours as we record this fucking garbage. Fuck me, please. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar.
1: You know how I said I was ready?
0: <laughs> now I'm ready. I'm Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. Fuck yeah. How you doing, boy? Yeah,
1: good. Feeling good. Feeling fresh. Holy refreshed. shit. Definitely not oh. mentally and
0: physically expended. Peek behind the curtain. Feeling great. We've just had like an hour and a half long argument about yep. whether or not art has inherent value. Who knows a bigger dick. Oh my god, that yep. was basically what it was. Uh, it it, it uh yeah. Your beef boys have been character assassinating each other for the best part of half an hour, yep.
1: which we regularly do before the show, which explains a fair bit of the tone. And during the show, and rapport, and after the show.
0: I feel we yep. someday maybe we'll release that literally 2 hours of audio <laughs> Actually, that we just accidentally recorded. Yeah. Fuck man. Yeah. Feels good. Feels awful. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel bad too. My my throat is dry, <laughs> my palms are sweaty, yep. knees weak, yep. arms spaghetti. Yep.
1: You've oh. y- yes, those are the symptoms of talking to me for two hours.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> Help me Marshall Madden. you're my <laughs> only hope. That's
1: man, what a mix of references. Yeah, it was pretty good, two wasn't of it? Them. <laughs>
0: Two. What a mix.
1: Oh, man. Yep.
0: I think this is the most sincerely like, brain-dead I've ever been <laughs> yeah. when I've recorded an yeah. episode. Let's see how this one turns out. Holy fuck. Yep. Other than last week when we talked for two and a half hours about the philosophical implications of Toy Story. Let's make this
1: the literal opposite of that episode. That's going to be so difficult. No analysis.
0: <laughs> now you're talking about like <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Um, All right. So this week, cool. we yep. watched... Uh, Yesterday, we the did. much anticipated by me Danny Boyle film, tangentially related to the Beatles. Yep. Idea of the film is that in the modern day 2019 ish, a main character named Jack Malik is a struggling singer songwriter. I well,
1: thought that was actually the name of someone from One Direction. I
0: <laughs> was someone we who high school.
1: With. It is oh, same yeah, right, yeah, right.
0: Yeah. That can't be unintentional. For, for sake. sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. it felt like it was. It was like Small McCartney, like kind of outdated. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Mac Efron, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Jack Malik is a struggling singer-songwriter who is like pretty much given up on his dream of becoming a musician. There's this worldwide power outage. At the same time as that happens, for like ten minutes, the whole planet cuts the power, like a Y2K fucking thing. Some he's solar in, flare, yeah, yeah. He's in a car crash. And when he wakes up, he sort of slowly realises that he's the only one that remembers that the Beatles ever existed. Yep. No one
1: else has ever heard any of their music Yeah,
0: Like, his guitar... You see in the trailer, like, his guitar, his guitar gets destroyed in the car crash, so <laughs> they, his friends buy him a um, guitar as a present, and he plays Yesterday on it to, like... They're like, oh, play us something, and they're like, when did you write that? That was the most beautiful fucking song I've yeah. ever heard. Yeah. Uh, when did you write that? And so, like... He then slowly realises that he remembers all these Beatles songs. He's going to remember them, transcribe them, and pass them off as his own. Yeah, and that's the film. It's written by Richard Curtis, who wrote Blackadder, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually, the boat that rocked, actually. Yep. Directed by Danny Boyle, who has directed Train Spotting, Slumdog Millionaire,
1: Twenty Eight Days and Weeks Later.
0: They've both got a lot of solid. In yep. arrows in their quiver. Rock-hard arrows in their big old arrows. throbbing quivers. Yep. Um, There's so they can, many arrows in their quiver. I think they can both be throbbing as long as they're sort of simultaneously throbbing in the sort of rhythm that's complementary to Both each of other. their
1: arrows or the arrow and the quiver? Richard Curtis's
0: quiver can be throbbing in time to Danny Boyle's Co- arrow. Oh, they arrow.
1: implements, right. Yeah, okay. right. Mm.
0: Um, the metaphor doesn't go much further than that. Mm, but yeah. I'm, I'm I happy reckon it th- could go
1: a lot further, and we won't. You know what?
0: I'm happy leaving it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yep. And so, I was quite excited by this film. We'll talk about it later, and later after we kick off with the news and stuff. But sure. that is the general premise of the film. We're going to give a spoiler-free review, followed by I don't know any fucking spoilers that we can pull out of our ass. But yeah, that's yesterday. To
1: be honest, I don't even know if it. Yeah, if you can really spoil the plot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: That's yesterday? Yes. The other film we watched this week, not even for the pod, just because we ended up organizing it with friends during the week, was a Korean film called Parasite, which is written and directed by Bong Joon -ho, who is a Korean person.
1: <laughs> Korean filmmaker who uh, most famously directed and wrote, I think, The Host, which was a horror movie that got pretty large. And Snowpiercer, it says. So. Oh, right. And Snowpiercer, which I guess was much bigger. Um, yeah. Although I think personally, a movie that I preferred less. So, yeah, sort of a. Uh, uh, Snowpiercer is not a horror movie, but it's got some creepy stuff in it. He's a guy that does like. Creepy movies.
0: This film felt, and, and so the parasite we'll talk about a bit more later as well. Um, I think it's mostly just showing at palace cinemas in Australia. Yeah. Um, uh, it felt a lot it's more one of them like foreign a, films. Yeah, it was like a mix between like a comedy and a drama kind mm. of thing. Um, rather, Do they got a word for that? I don't think so. They mm. should have a word for that.
1: Dromedy. A <laughs> um, oh, dramedy is actually the dr- word. Fuck.
0: No, know We we talked we about, about this from, last yeah. week. Yeah. Um,
1: Where does this fall along the? <laughs> Drama, drama, drum dr- whatever it was. Let's save that for keen beans right, later. Um, <laughs> we'll kick it off with a bit of
0: news 1st i We've only got a little bit, but we might as well start off the podcast with a bang. Mm. You ready, bruh? Yep. <laughs> got a lot of Henry Cavill news this week. Yeah. Beef Bulletin. Um... Starting off with the much anticipated Netflix adaptation of The Witcher. Yes. Which is a Polish novel cum video game. A fair few of those have been floating around recently. Yeah. Um cum video games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sendren Kagura. Um Henry Cavill <laughs> That's
1: one for the heads.
0: of, of Superman fame. Is going to be starring as the main character in The Witcher.
1: Yeah, now we already knew this. This was, we already knew this. This is old ass news. It's
0: news this week because they've shared Need some news. <laughs> they've shared like the poster and a whole bunch of promo images from the production, including a photo of Henry Cavill as the Witcher, main characters, settings, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, looks really exciting. It's one of my favorite video games recently. I reckon you should never watch this because yeah, I, think, it. it's gonna fuck be, fuck I it? think it's going
1: to. I think it's going to be
0: fucked. If it's like Game of Thrones ish in terms of its production value and quality, I'd like it. Um, I also yeah. have listened to recently the audiobooks from like the first two or three books in the mm. series, and I've loved them so far. Yeah, so it's a great world, and there's so much there for them to unpack that yeah. you would have to just be completely apathetic to fuck it up. I yeah. think. Yep, I... It's a slam dunk. I hope it's good, yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, Netflix has done enough big stuff, like Stranger Things, that's been good, that I think that... Yeah, um, I reckon their track
1: record recently is not great, but... <laughs> you yeah. reckon? Yeah, just, yeah, some of the big stuff that they've been pushing. I, 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 we haven't had a big Netflix hit in a while, and they've been pretty constantly pumping shit out. So. That's probably true. I don't know. I feel just, like they're... I'm I've just g- worried about, about it.
0: I hope it's good. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic until then. Um... Next story I've got here is that there is a new Jumanji sequel coming out, which I couldn't give a fuck about, but there's a
1: headline here. Yeah, we didn't watch the...
0: Did you watch the new one? Well, there was that one where it was like Jack Black and The Rock and Amy from Doctor Who. Yeah, right. So this one's called Jumanji The Next Level. And the headline that grabbed my attention here is that in this one, they put Danny DeVito in The Rock's body. And now I'm all in. Because you know the idea behind...
1: do you mean like Spy Kids 3D style with like Elijah Wood on like no, it was this like an experimental surgery or, thing, or like man. yeah what well, do, no, what do you
0: mean? Well, the idea behind uh, the original remake that came out recently with Jack yeah, Black and The, the Rock and all remake. that, yeah, um, was that they all swapped bodies when they went into the video game, and oh, so like God, what a what an annoying gimmick! I think Jack Black. I'm I'm going to make it up. Sure, but it's it's yeah. something like Kevin Kevin Hart is in The Rock's body. And Jack Black is in Amy Shum is in Amy from Doctor Who's body. Yeah, fucking what's her name? Karen Gillan. Like, yeah, Jack Black might be in Karen Gillan's body, and Karen Gillan might be in the Rock's body. So, like, I haven't seen this movie or heard about this at all. I go
1: on. I bet they make one of those jokes where like a male character gets into a female character's body, and the first thing they do is like feel their own boobs, and are like,
0: I mean, wouldn't.
1: I bet. Wouldn't they do you? That. I bet they <laughs> do. <that. laughs>
0: yeah, I think so. It's in the trailer. Yeah. Um, Fuck, really? I think so. Yeah.
1: Oh god. Um, yeah, but I made the right
0: call not watching them. Yeah. yeah, dog, you did. Uh, well, this this new one has Danny DeVito in The Rock's body. If he fills up the Rock's boobs,
1: <laughs> it's it's turning tropes in on themselves. Hell yeah, is, dog! I'm all in. Hell yeah. yeah. Dog. I'm a massive fan of Danny DeVito. He's, yeah, me he's, too. And I actually, he's you know, fucking good.
0: I reckon The Rock is brilliant. Yeah. I reckon he's appropriately entertaining in almost everything that he's in. Yep. And that's as far as my praise of The Rock will go. Yeah. Because I actually haven't seen a movie that he's been in for ages. Was time. he in Doom,
1: the t- yeah. 2006 one? Yeah, boy. See, I'm going to watch that. A podcast that we listened to recently released a. Uh, w- what are they called? Running like a commentary, commentary. I guess, yeah, of that, and I've never watched it before, so I'm kind of keen to go in on that. But I reckon that might challenge his title of everything he's <laughs> in is entertaining. But it was kind of before his heyday, so
0: yeah. Yeah, Paul Rudd has joined the cast of the new Ghostbusters film. Don't really know how feel about new Ghostbusters. I thought the last one that just came out with the all female cast was just fine. Yep. I hope this is better than just That's fine. Generally reflective. Um, yeah. I really like Paul Rudd. I think he's brilliant yep. in everything. Um, was ah. he in the original Doom? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, thinking uh, of, you're thinking of Danny uh, DeVito mate uh, um, yeah. uh, more James Bond news yep. because we promised to update you on every scary give information related to how this production is going absolutely nowhere where is
1: Gunfucker coming out
0: <laughs> after five weeks being off the job Daniel Craig has finally come back to work nice fucking dull bludger that he is yeah.
1: what was wrong with him He broke his back or some no,
0: shit no he like sprained his ankle or something yeah, we w- reported on it like, a month ago. <laughs> little weak little <laughs> shit. Yeah. Um, following up on Henry Cavill news, unfortunately, and I'm sorry to get you worked up about this, this is not Henry Cavill moustache related. R.I.P. Henry Cavill's moustache of 2018. Geralt has a beard, correct? De- I mean, it depends on how I you mean, play your character, your character creator, playing, yeah.
1: yes. In the, I- My I think Geralt has a beard. I think it's canon that Geralt has a beard. And I think in, sure. the, in the Henry Cavill picks. He has a beard, which means he has a silvery grey witcher moustache. Okay. Apparently. So Ooh, that's that'll the, be good. That's the Henry Cavill moustache. I, I want to say. see that. It's I not his MI7 one.
0: I've closed my tabs, but I haven't actually gone back to go and see whether Henry Cavill has any facial hair as well. I, I think he does, yeah. Oh, I looking, baby. I was looking at some pics Billion today. dollar facial hair. New story here about Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill is set up to play Sherlock Holmes opposite Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> In a As adaptation of... Watson. No, Millie Bobby Brown is going to be Enola Holmes, Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes's much younger sister. Right. It's apparently based on some sort of book series, which has already set up his characters. I think it's a Sherlock Holmes series. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Conan. Arthur Conan. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Arthur Conan Dork. Says, yeah, there's some author I've never heard of, <laughs> a Nancy Springer, that's written this series of books as like a spin-off from Sherlock Holmes called Enola Holmes about the younger sister. So I don't know how I feel. This is fine. I don't know how I feel about all these fucking public domain characters being constantly spun off Just into... Sherlock Holmes, man. Give it a fucking rest. I'm done. Rest. I think that Benedict Cumberbatch did a brilliant. Didn't Danny
1: Boyle... Didn't Danny Boyle do the recent good one? Uh, Who was
0: that director? What, the Robert Danny Jr. one? Yeah. That was Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. Um, Guy, I, Guy I Ritchie. I always get those two. Okay. <laughs> I seriously um, do. Danny Boyle
1: and Guy Ritchie, they both sound like made-up British names.
0: Yeah, they do, absolutely. Uh, well, no, so, like, I watched an analysis recently about well, like some sort of video essay thing. They're both
1: Jason Statham characters. That's who they are. Sure. Uh, Danny fucking Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, next.
0: Um, like, I watched a, a video essay recently where they were talking about um, how Hollywood constantly, every sort of five to ten years, will reboot a different... Out of public domain character, character yeah. be it Robin Hood or King Arthur, as has happened recently. Fuck me. Or yep. Sherlock Holmes. Awful. And do some. Maybe
1: Disney's <laughs> doing the right thing with all that uh, <laughs> fucking public domain extension protection bullshit. Well, yeah, like, and they, yeah, they were talking about just keep about Mickey Mouse out of it. Yeah, they can't well, let them get him.
0: <laughs> well, this thing was talking about how, like, oh no, I don't know. Like, at least Disney does it like a bit differently. And like how at least like the Disney interpretation of all these stories is creative enough that it becomes almost like the definitive version yep. of it. Let me get like, this.
1: Let me get this on the record. Disney are the bad guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you haven't expressed an opinion before. But um, well, but, like, a, like the Aladdin is <laughs> like fuck a, Hollywood as well. Yeah, look, Aladdin yeah. is like the Aladdin Disney story is like a creative enough um, interpretation of the sort of Alibaba forty thieves kind of story, right? I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, when it was th- made
1: forty years ago or whatever. The fuck. No, like yeah. I
0: think that's the story it's based on. And there's like a Disney ve- there's a Disney version of Merlin and King Arthur, and there's a Disney version of Robin Hood that have I think are probably the most beloved popular versions recently. Yeah. Um, and these bullshit like gritty, sincere, hardcore reboots. Yeah.
1: Pat statement of people a gritty reboot. People don't really give a fuck. Terrible, terrible thing to happen to Hollywood.
0: I think you're sort of right in that people think that it inherently... They think it gives us some sort of inherent worth. Interesting quality, but yeah. But I think that it is interesting if you do it right, as evidenced yeah. by Christopher Nolan doing it with Batman, Batman. and yeah. it being brilliant. But it's the doing
1: it right bit that's interesting. <laughs> it's it's not the gritty reboot bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, like,
0: I I don't want to write off the gritty reboot, because I think gritty no, reboots it's are, not fuck, inherently bad are really either. fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it's just that, like, you got to... It's just work not hard to make it not just be the only selling point. It's gonna it's be a good It's not a free pass record. to a good movie, yeah, which exactly. I think
1: it's treated like in Hollywood very much. Yes, um, it sucks. Get me out of here. Yeah. All right. Next uh, news story.
0: Final news story I've got for the week Ooh. is uh that the missed film and TV rights have been sold to Village Roadshow.
1: Now M Y S T. Yeah. Right, so this is a video game. No, this is game. a video.
0: This is a uh, the TV movie rights to the weather pattern known as Mist. <laughs> yeah, um, this is <laughs> it the could video, be like the Mist. This Stephen is the video King's game that novel. your dad, yes, you listener, your dad played <laughs> and has yeah. a notebook of full of fucking bullshit cryptic hints and things mm. about how to solve this bullshit click point point-and-click adventure game.
1: Th- so, yeah, it was a yeah point point-and-click adventure game that sort of used almost photorealistic graphics and didn't have any movement or anything, so you just clicked around was the place, but it meant it looked really interesting, and it had really hard puzzles. Yeah. So you needed, like, an actual book to write shit down in because you'd see some glyphs on the wall, and they wouldn't be relevant for another 40 hours of gameplay, <laughs> but you need them. Yeah, forty my, hours later. My
0: dad played Mist. Yeah, I know people who like I met through primary school and then high school. Who you know, you sort of meet people's dads. You're like, oh, whatever, yeah, it's a lawyer or some shit. And they'd be like, my dad played Mist. You'd be like, your dad did anything for fun? Yeah, and just the idea <laughs> that it's like, fun. <laughs> it's the ultimate parent video game. Yeah, um, I. I've never bothered to get any more than a couple hours into Mist. Yeah, I think
1: I'm the same. <laughs> we've, we've had our compulsory like pilgrimage of going back and playing the games, mm. but no, and it, so like, it's I, not fun. I don't even <laughs> know
0: if it has a story, because yeah. I've never gotten more than a couple hours into it. It's
1: kind of like if there was a video game that was actually just getting you're getting your bar, like becoming a <laughs> lawyer. And it's like, yeah, but you need to do <laughs> five years yeah. of legal study and yeah. research My in order to play this game. It's like, well, <laughs> that's not very fun then, is it? Yeah. It's like, no, you actually have to decrypt some ancient scripture and become a linguist. Yeah, you, basically in order have to to learn, you
0: have to learn Aramaic in order to finish yeah. this video and game. And it's like,
1: right. Well, that I, I'd rather shoot things, okay? I'd rather shoot Nazis or be a witcher or whatever the fuck, but I don't want to do that. Maybe that was fun back before they knew what fun was.
0: That's kind of why I like video games a lot more. I like video games. It's like an escape. And there's like a level of puzzle yeah. video games that I'm happy with. Yep. And there's a there's a level further than that where you have to fill a 100-page notebook yep. with like notes and shit where I'm like, this is no longer yeah, fun. Yeah, when your this video is, game has this more of a government form <laughs> yeah. than it does with a fucking yeah, action
1: yeah. film, then I think you, you, uh, you've stumbled upon something that's not fun.
0: Yeah, and so I don't want to surprise you, listener, but this is, once again, something that we do not have any amount of information on hand with which to... Provide. I think we've done a reliable job of. Of I don't know if there is a movie in that. No, I think not. Yeah, no, there might be. Literally, someone can tell me there is, and I'd be like, okay, great.
1: I think the only way that you could make a movie out of mist would be some sort of thing that's sort of like National Treasure or whatever, where it's like you, you know, like one of those movies that's about solving puzzles. And But the problem is, the reason National Treasure is interesting is because it's things that exist in the real world that are actually puzzles, and you would it, it's this concept, it's the Harry Potter concept of you could be standing somewhere and think, yeah, but what if someone, this grand architect who is sort of... Um, Linking everything is, together. Is this grand architect a bad term, or is that is that a KKK term? That's grand dragon. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, what if this grand if dragon was implementing <laughs> some kind of final solution? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what if you were standing on this particular stone at a particular time and you could like point at a thing and some hatch will open and it's magic or you've discovered a like Illuminati conspiracy or whatever. This is an imaginary world full of imaginary steampunk things and you're solving puzzles in that imaginary world. The interest comes from solving the puzzles, not from watching them be solved on screen and being like, huh. Mm. So they're going to have to either invent a world, I think, in my opinion. I think they're either going to have to invent a storyline that's interesting enough that it wouldn't have to be based in mist anyway, or it's going to be not interesting
0: or good at all. Yeah.
1: And, you know, you tell me which one of those is more likely.
0: Yeah, well, I, I didn't mean to, like, introduce anything to the podcast that was, like, overly stimulating or, like, hard or, like, an idea that might be necessarily engorged. Mm. But... Um, no, I, j- I just think that it's an interesting... <laughs> I, um, I just think that it's an interesting... Why cl- you unzipping your fly? <laughs> I just think that it's an interesting... No, that's it. I wanted to make a dick joke and I didn't actually have anywhere to go in that, <laughs> in that sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's um, a veiny problem.
1: <laughs> oh, that's such a bad... oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. going to start... Just gonna start chucking that as an adjective into random things. Like, <laughs> veiny. Damn, that's a really veiny issue. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say it was veiny. Uh, yeah, like it's yeah. yeah, it's got like a lot of yeah, a lot of volume to the <laughs> issue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I were to bring myself abruptly into this discussion if I was to come to your level and just really <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's it's you know it's a ribbed issue it's <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: God.
0: good shit
1: alright we done with shit. the news
0: yeah we're done with the news that was it
1: have we got any beefness or pleasure this week I think I think Parasite was our yeah was, was our it pleasure that was it I had grand intentions to watch uh, some amateur sci-fi shit. Yeah, we talked not about ama- it last week. Not amateur, low budget, but <laughs> um, potato, potato. But yeah. then my entire weekend evaporated, and that didn't happen. So mm. uh, I am actually going to try and watch them this weekend. But I think until then, I really haven't had the chance to do anything. Oh, I finished Assassin's Creed Origins, more video
0: gamey shit. Oh, yeah. It was fun. Like we've had our monthly it's dose of video game stuff last <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, right. wanna,
1: don't want don't to wanna let people know I'm a nerd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, yeah, we watched uh, Parasite, of course, the yep. Korean comedy drama that we mentioned at the top of the show during the week with friend of the show Pat et al. And I think enjoyed it to varying degrees. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I did during the week. No, nothing. Yeah, so...
1: Didn't have a lot of time. It's pretty. Your week was pretty sort of filled up. Very. I was pretty. bloated and
0: turgid. I was pretty sated by the week I had as it was. If I had to really sort of climb up on top of the week and ride it, then I'd be pretty satisfied. If you
1: fucked uh, your week, it would have been great.
0: Yeah. Six minutes later, I think I'd be well spent. This week was a great route. <laughs> Next segment. Man, last last week, dud route. <laughs> Holy shit. I think. Toy Story slash Bugs of Being a Wallflower, absolute dud route. I think dud route
1: <laughs> is my favorite phrase.
0: Yeah, friend of the show, Josh, uses it a lot. I think it's my
1: favorite phrase, and I got it from Josh. I just, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's so, just the, the the way it feels to say, what it means, it's cultural significance. The
0: perfect distillation of the human experience, Genuinely baby. brilliant. The Australian experience. The to great some, Australian experience. To some degree, and at some point in our lives, we're all a dud root.
1: Yep. This last election, dud root. <laughs> change, oh, man. Dud
0: root. I think we're going to ruin it for Josh. Sorry, going man. to the
1: shops and uh, they don't have that thing you want?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we don't understand the expression.
1: It's not about the expression; it's about what it feels to say the expression. I think, mm.
0: yeah. or how it doesn't feel, as the case may be. I've come
1: full circle, and I think we
2: are ruining it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Parasite is a twenty nineteen South Korean dark comedy drama film directed by Bong Joon Ho.
1: I need that on a post it note so that I don't have to keep like frantically trying to open my phone every time.
0: I'm not going to remember many of the names of many of these characters. Um nah. I also don't quite remember whether in Korean you're supposed to say... I think you're supposed to say the second name, not the first name. And like I think it's
1: a lot of... I think most Asian cultures, you're supposed to say what we list as their last name
0: first because we
1: list their family That's name That's like
0: their Christian first. name, but they yeah. list their family name. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I feel like I'm just going to be saying a lot of the son, the daughter, the yeah, father, so Jun, the mother. Jun Ho
1: Bong is the this. I think how how you should say this guy's name, but we're just going to get it wrong because we're going to read what's written down in front of us.
0: Yeah. So, um, so basically, it's 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 a film that's all about. It's like a comedy drama. It's a dark comedy. Um, has some thrillery kind of elements still, but I think mostly it's going for this sort of light-hearted comedy kind of vibe, with a bit of all, a bit of like us. The Jordan Peele movie Us, I got a bit of that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, in the same way as it can be sort of a bit dark and twisted, but it's it, still kind of having a bit of fun.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, Jun-ho directs a fair bit, or has directed a, 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 a couple, at least a couple of horror movies, and I think in moments that tone comes through. Here. Yeah. So,
0: like, I don't think this is necessarily a very scary film. No, it wasn't. But at it had all, some really. dark themes to it, yeah. where if you just said it was a comedy. It would be amiss to not mention, like, the, oh, but what about that weird bit? Um Yeah. Bas- basically, though, the film is about this uh, very, very poor family that the live... The Kim family. The Kim family, yes, that live in a big city in South Korea. I suppose I assumed that it was Seoul for no good reason. It could be anywhere. It doesn't really say. In this big city, um... Like, they all live in, like, a sort of semi -basement apartment that regularly floods, and, like, people piss outside their window because they're right in the middle of this alleyway, and, like, they have... Like, they just eat junk food for dinner, and they don't have a job. Like, all the family collectively folds pizza boxes in their living room to sell to a local business to make money. Like, they're... Sometimes, to comic effect in the setup of the movie, like, comically poor. Yeah. To the point where, like, it's ridiculous... And sort of almost confronting how poor they are. Yeah, they um, sort of
1: joke around about, like... It, the pursuit of employment is, like, a running joke about, like, oh, did you manage to find that job, like, yeah. licking the moss off stones or whatever? Like, like it's, yeah. The
0: dude has to, like... Just doing the most climb, work. climb on top of the toilet to get a free Wi-Fi signal from the cafe down <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, the road or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's only worth mentioning because it's sort of half the point of the movie is this sort of class distinction between this poor family and a very rich family who is looking for an English tutor. And yep, the son... the Park family. The Park family, right. So the son from the poor family, the Kim family, um, happens to be quite good at speaking English through his military service, I think they say. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Um, and he gets a job through a friend of a friend to be the new English tutor for this rich Park family. Um, he they they live in this amazing their daughter. Yeah, so right. So both
1: families are nuclear families with mother, what? father, son, daughter.
0: Right. Um, the son quite quickly works out that this family has a lot of people that work for them. They have like a driver, or a cleaner. The other... So he teaches the daughter. The son in the rich family... Also, quite young. Growing, ...also needs a tutor.
1: Yep, for art.
0: And so the whole point of the film is the family sort of lie and cheat their way into being every single member of this family's staff. Yeah, But the Rich family don't know that any of the other members of the poor family are unrelated. So this, this son goes in and says, like, oh, I'm your English tutor. My uh, brother's second cousin's aunt is a good cleaner. Yeah. And then he gets his mum to go and apply as the cleaner. Yep. And so they sort of pretend they don't know each other. Yep. And, and then, then the
1: family will be like, oh, we need an art tutor for our son. And exactly. they'll be like, and like,
0: oh,
1: I seem to recall I knew someone that was an art tutor, and it's his exa- sister, yeah. Yeah,
0: right. And so they sort of lie their way into being every single member of this rich family staff. Yep. And so I suppose it's it's funny and the antics of the film and like them getting themselves into the situation and then sort of being trapped trapped in their own network of lies is half the fun of the film. I suppose the deeper philosophical question of the film is interesting to discuss in its question of sort of who is taking advantage of who. Yep. And then the ethics of the whole thing and then the sort of classist distinctions that it's making and the sort of commentaries that it's making on classist societies. And then also,
1: without getting into spoiler territory, just the actual plot and what Yeah, how and it's how a really crazy things, plot. As well. how those things interact with the actual plot of the film. Which sort of It's not like sorry to bother you. Where the plot is about participating in capitalist society or anything. I think like the
0: plot that. is inherently interesting, and it's a funny, dark, twisted plot that goes all sorts of ways that you'd never predict. Right. That's inherently interesting, and it's fun to do the sad boy analysis. It's got
1: always. this undercurrent of like, yeah, who 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 is the parasite? In a way, yeah, exactly, know?
0: yeah, um, yeah, right. So, so that's that's kind of why the film, I suppose, is called that because, to some degree, you could see is that the the richer family. Taking advantage of the poorer members of society in general, as a as a product of and sort of by advantage of their place of wealth in society, yeah. but also the fact that the the poorer people are lying and cheating their way, yeah, and taking advantage of this rich family for their own benefit and
1: living off them as like yeah literal literal, literal parasites. parasites. But I, I think if you stop your reading there that's pretty reductionist of of what this film is trying to get at. Yeah, sure. As a film before we get like uh yeah, I I think I don't know. We came out of that theater a, a large group of us um uh, with a bunch of differing, I guess, maybe not differing political opinions, but we had a bunch of different readings of it. Um well, I think I think it's it's interesting to jump into that, but first, before we get into so like whether or not this is a good Marxist movie <laughs> is uh and believe me, there's an hour of that coming up. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh it was just... Uh, I, I thought it was actually even... I- like, regardless of, of a sort of thematic reading of it, I thought this was a, a pretty damn well-made movie. Yeah. Like, I thought it was really well-directed. Um, I thought that the... And, like, uh, what does that mean? Okay. Um, I thought that... Every th- scene had a purpose. The cinematography was great. Uh, in, in fact, the way that it actually represented the urban environments of... South Korea, I thought was really interesting. Almost uh, as good as Burning. Not quite, but yeah. uh, I think that was in a class of its own. Um, but yeah, really good. It had a, a bunch of extended cuts that built tension when it needed to. So I think the editing was quite good as well. And also the moment-to-moment editing was good. Yeah, All of the performances were great. Um, I think a lot of the performances couldn't really... Um, I think a lot of the characterization was through the performance rather than through the writing or anything like that.
0: Um, I think it's hard to judge writing when it's in a foreign language and as, performance well. So as well. This film is yeah. in Korean with English subtitles. Yep. Same as Burning. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think it is it inherently hard to judge. Yeah. The performance and the writing, you can sort of get an overall sensation. But also because it's a comedy, it's a dark black comedy film. Yeah. It's hard to get a sensation of what is exaggerated. And what is sincere, dramatic performance? And I think that perhaps works in yeah, exactly. our cultural difference, exactly, and cultural difference. Yeah. So it, it works overall. Where like we, as English-speaking white Australians, watching the film, don't—I don't, I, I don't know—you can't really make an objective judgment. I yeah. don't think about how good the acting is, or how good the writing is, but it, we enjoyed it. I think. I, I, mean, I think, that I think the the it happens a lot, actually, when you're watching Sorry, when you're watching a foreign mm-hmm. film, like when I. I lived in Germany for like a little bit and I would watch films in the cinema there that were dubbed into German because that's how they watch them over there and there are a lot of films that I enjoyed a lot more when they were dubbed into German because the process of, without subtitles or anything so yeah. I have to like, and so the process of like, interpret, like yeah. interpreting the language and sort of going through a few filters like that means that like the bar for quality is low <laughs>
1: a lot. Right. It's funny yeah because you would expect you would enjoy it less but you're doing more mental work, you almost have less time to think about whether yeah. or not it was good and then more time to exactly. just be like oh cool I figured it and out. And so
0: by the time you get it the prize is like oh I love it. Yeah. And so I think sort of by abstraction I think that with a lot of foreign films like this connecting with and identifying with the characters is often enough together with sort of getting the subtitles right, that even though you don't quite and you can never really understand the nuance of their tone of voice and the way they phrase lines and things yeah. and you can't understand how well it's written in Korean yeah, you can still enjoy it. So yeah. in some degree, we have an advantage, and, there.
1: and you like you like it that comes to the trade off of losing a bunch of the like nuance of the language yeah. that it's written in. Which I, um,
0: yeah, I suppose what I'm saying is that in Korean, this could be a shit film. It could be really cheesy. The writing could be really cheesy. Yeah, the tone or it could writing, be really yeah, poorly written. Yeah. I or mean,
1: the, the translation wasn't. But yeah, no,
0: but like or like from a comedy point of view, right. this could be a really weird, hammerly overacted comedy. Yeah, but it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, I mean it doesn't because feel a foreign like language? it should be, no. but
1: it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Uh,
1: one one other interesting thing that I did notice, like just for the for those film film heads out there, um, the color the color grading and in general the use of color in this film was really really interesting. Um, the way that it uses um, light in Light in different environments to kind of set the tone of particular scenes I, suppose I, I was really effective. So, like...
0: I suppose I noticed that when it was in the rich, influential, fancy house, it was a lot more sort of vibrant.
1: Yeah, or, or like, for instance, <laughs> there's a, sure. a, a... Vibrant, but also, like, contrasted. So, like, there were parts of that house that were extremely starkly dark. I'm thinking of specifically one particular doorway that is almost, but like... Like Vanta Black, like it's just, it's it's almost like it's absorbing the light. I think around that's also because
0: that's a representation of the barrier between the two cultures in the household. Absolutely, um, and it's an effective
1: kind of technique, but it's but done it, through the the construction of and lighting of the color yeah, in the film. But
0: then, like the inherently like the richer, fancier, more affluent part of the household is that brighter. Richer kind of color. Right,
1: and like their apartment, which is dog shit and below ground level, is lit by like gross, greeny flu- fluorescent
0: lights. The poor families, um, yeah. Yeah.
1: And the way that, uh, so water plays a fairly strong thematic role in this film, uh, rain and flooding in particular. And the way that they used light and the colour, not just light colour, but the actual colour of the scene while water was involved, I thought was really clever. So like mm. at one point, a house floods and they sort of have this really strong green tone over everything that makes it feel, uh I found it personally, it made it feel a lot more kind of like... As if we were almost about to be drowned, like it was. It was the yeah. color of like light filtering through. Just the way that they chose to reflect certain moments with light, I found really interesting in this yeah. movie. That was like what I noticed about the the filmy aspect of it.
0: I found that I feel like when we watch a lot of films, that these little indie little films, it's very easy to sort of get swept away by the artiness of the whole thing, yep. and really appreciate it from that perspective. And I found burning to be like that. Yep. and I think that burning. Which I only mentioned because it's another recent Korean film that we watched. Um, felt very arty in a way that you could sort of nitpick it and pick it apart and sort oh, of talk yeah. about every little part of it. So
1: much you can do with that.
0: This film, to me, just felt like it didn't feel quite. Not that arty is like the upper echelon of what I'm looking for, but I just mean like this felt like a good dark comedy where the filmmaker really knew what he was doing. Yes, like almost like Us or Get Out. In the way that they're dark, kind of funny, kind of themes, but the director also knows how to use a camera properly. Yeah, he knows d- how to give like cool shots. In burning,
1: like, it felt like they were trying actively to use the filmic medium to visually represent things like
0: metaphor and symbols and yeah. whatnot. I don't,
1: yeah. It didn't feel like that. I d- exactly, it I just, just felt like it was made by a crew that really knew what they were doing. Exactly,
0: so I I, I kind of just feel like it's a it's a good like in English. If this was an English American movie. I don't think I would have been as impressed by it as I was because it was a foreign film. Okay. If only because there's that foreign film filter that you get on everything where I feel like when it's ambiguous you err on the side of it being better. Yeah. I think even like unintuitive it's not really. Yeah, it's not really something I've thought about very much, but like I feel like I don't know, I just sort of thought about the fact that this film felt very similar in plot to us. Yeah, and I really didn't find okay. the plot for Us that compelling. Us doesn't p-
1: have the dynamic that this has between the class disparity no. I suppose it sort of does do like,
0: thematically it's similar like in terms of the actual plot I suppose it's not oh, actually, very similar yes. but I, I'm,
1: I'm remembering more about us yeah. I, think I, yeah, I so, see where you're coming from so
0: thematically they're quite similar and right. so I suppose the whole time I was just thinking like yeah but us is kind of almost the English version of this I didn't really like it and mm. um, Maybe it's an unfair comparison, but I just... I felt this was better made, to be No, honest. I agree. I yeah. agree. I think this is better, but I also have this sort of lingering doubt in my mind as to whether or not I'm able to properly judge whether or not it was better. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Well, it doesn't matter. I think...
0: I, I suppose it doesn't, does it? Because yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it right. more anyway. I think that's what's more important. So, yeah. in some respect, if I'm just looking at my own subjective enjoyment of us and Parasite... Yep. I enjoyed this a lot more. Also, the plot of Us felt like a fucking mess.
1: This felt quite. Coherent. This was very cohesive. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I I enjoyed this way more than I enjoyed Us. Yeah, and I was at no point in this movie mm. actively frustrated by the film that I was watching. Yeah,
0: I don't want to spoil this film. I feel like mainly because yeah, the, the main film it. for yesterday, the main film for this episode is yesterday. Um, yeah. So this is like a passing thing. I would say the film gets quite dark and quite interesting as sort of the family gets stuck in more and more of their lies and the rich family have these sort of dark secrets that are uncovered not in like some sort of bullshit like M. Night Shyamalan twist kind of way but like there's more going on to the film than it seems like there is on the surface that sort of gets more and more complicated and is compounded by the poor family's lies. I will say It's interesting and it's fun to watch. It's really good fun
1: Yeah, I had a great time I will say, at a point, I thought this film was pulling a "Sorry to bother you" with like a "holy fuck" moment, and then it wasn't what I thought it was. I and
0: don't think it was really doing that.
1: No, and and I was a little bit like, oh, but no. I still, but it was still really great. The twist was still really interesting. It was just different to what I thought yeah. it was going to be, and uh, yeah, uh, as a net result, really good.
0: I think this I, film is a lot closer to like the Korean version of like a simple favor. Yeah. Okay. or Us than it is to like the Korean version of Sorry to Bother You In, and I suppose what I mean yes, by that if you don't know those is. films is I think it's a lot closer to just being a fun comedy drama thriller yeah. than it is to being like a socio-political commentary on anything
1: yeah 25 words or less we came out of the cinema I'm going to use a bunch of jargon 25 words or less we came out of the cinema and I thought that was a reasonably good class conscious film where it was looking at the interactions between, like, a really rich family and a really poor family and kind of illustrating the unfairness of that and making an argument that that should be broken down. In reality, I, and some of the people that I was with said it wasn't doing a good job of class consciousness because it was actually, it made the rich family seem like an aspirational group and the poor family seemed like the kind of, like, the parasites i think you could read into it very much either way i would need a lot more time on it and i would need to specifically be trying to look at what it was doing in that space but i did feel like there was a little bit more to it than just making it seem like the rich family were the good guys to try and aspire to and the poor people are just sort of these groveling gross people i think it's a lot more complicated than that but
0: I know we're trying to wrap up and being conscious of the fact that I think a lot of the listeners probably haven't seen this film. Yeah. Um, I think that it's interesting to discuss the fact that perhaps the rich family aren't necessarily portrayed as the good guys, but they're portrayed as like the aspirational goal for poor people. Right. Whether or not that's necessarily true. Because they're also portrayed as stupid and gullible, so it's not like they're perfect. Yeah. It's like and, and so then the poor people are portrayed as being in this terrible shitty situation. Almost a comic effect, right. like at the start with the thing where they stand on the toilet to get the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, um, yep. And so I think it just sort of it uses the class distinction to give the poor people a place to work towards. Yeah,
1: there's an argument to be made that it, it represents the poor people as like kind of morally failing upwards until they become rich people, which is not a good way to reflect yeah. it. And the richness and the Austin, te- uh, Austin of the rich family isn't really villainized as you would expect it to be. I
0: think they just just depicted as nothing special. And right. And so the uh, whole time yeah. that the poor people are striving and sort of s- trying to sacrifice everything to get there. It's like, wouldn't it's showing it be great the rich to be this? As like, It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's the whole like Beatles, <laughs> like money can't buy a love thing, baby. Like it seems like mostly the rich people, they, they seem a lot less happy than the poor people yeah. in some respects. And yeah. the whole idea that like, yeah the money is everything kind of right. analysis, which is I think a little, a little bit more lo fi than I think a lot of these films normally go for in terms of like messages or whatever man. yeah,
1: I was definitely hoping for a little bit more of that. I had a lot of fun with but, it. I think but, it's still but, showing yeah.
0: when this episode comes out, I think it's worth watching, yeah, I think it's not much out in the cinema at the moment this guy's
1: a great director, like we said, great performance, very pretty looking movie, interesting plot, like you can't ask for much more than that,
0: yeah, um, and how often really do you watch How often do you watch a foreign Korean film that's a comedy? I love that shit it was really
1: and it was quite funny at points yeah
0: and I think that's interesting because we used to work in a cinema obviously it hasn't come up before but we used to work in a cinema and like A lot of the time, the German festival films, oh, fuck. the most popular ones... Scandinavian films. Yeah, well, Scandinavian films, the most popular ones would be the detective stories. And the most popular Spanish and Italian films would be these ensemble family comedies. And yeah. the most popular German films would be the war ones. Yeah. And in those festivals, there were always these little gems that were like, yeah, this is a German comedy. And this is a Scandinavian, like whatever, you yeah, know, and like the sorts of genres that aren't typical of what you generally associate with that country's cinema. I think are the most interesting. Yeah, so I, I think saw obviously, a
1: hysterical like, film from Sweden called A Man Called Ofer or Ofer. Ofer. Ofer Ofer. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. I heard about that. That was a great film and got a general cinematic release. But seeing a Swedish comedy comedy rather than like a
0: crime fiction very film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like um. Yeah, no, I, th- I, think, I think it's really valuable, and I think it's really sort of, like, it helps you sort of check yourself that, like, often the Korean films that I find myself watching, mm. like, I've seen Old Boy, and so, Fuck like, yeah. I typically associate... Man, good. It's good, but, like, typically, I find myself catching myself associating a lot of Asian cinema with, like, that Kung Fu cinema. Right.
1: and this guy's previous films that have gone big, like, The Host, not funny... Pretty dark. Right. And Snow like quite serious not films. Funny, pretty and even dark. like Burning, yeah.
0: even though it's not like a action-y kind of kung fu film, it's quite a serious film. Oh fuck. And so yeah. and I think that culture, I think often stereotypically is quite a serious kind of culture. Mm. And so I think it's really it's in light, it, it's it's quite sort of invigorating to watch a film that is completely the opposite of what you would expect stereotypically from that culture. Yeah. It's cool. Because it sort of catches you and think, Oh, what a what a fun, different experience. Yep. it's called Parasite it's in cinemas now in July of 2019 I hope you get a chance to watch it yeah I knew
1: listening to this in 50 years
0: oh god if this is the time capsule for 2019 society they were like people in 2019 were fucking morons wow they really deserved that those water wars alright so the main film that we were leading up this week to discussing was That I suppose have been sidetracked a little by Parasite, is Yesterday, the Danny Boyle film written by Richard Curtis that we mentioned at the top of the show. As we discussed, it's about this failing singer-songwriter that wakes up after this world-changing event in almost like a parallel universe where the Beatles never existed. Yep. He remembers the Beatles songs. He pretends to have written all of them and becomes very successful. Yep. It's written by the bloke who wrote Love Actually and Four Weddings and a Funeral and About Time recently, but I didn't see that. So to some degree, it's just like a rom -com. And it has all the trappings and all the strengths that a rom -com has. I'd say to a large degree. Yeah, right. I think it's mostly a rom -com. I was going in expecting... Because it's a cool what -if premise, isn't it? Yeah. Like... What if the Beatles never existed and you yeah, had this one is. life-changing opportunity? It's almost like a back-to-the-future kind of premise or like a um, – I was reminded of Downsizing, that film okay. recently that, where you could yeah. choose to shrink yourself and live in a little micro world to save on world resources and like yeah. to increase your money because you could you know, buy 50 little worth of vodka and if you're an inch tall, then that's enough vodka for like a lifetime, for mm. example. Um As an example of like a film with an amazing premise that kind of wasted. It fucks it up. Yeah. And so it's I don't know, I I suppose I enjoyed this film a little bit, but mostly I kind of resented that it seemed to be wasting this cool premise. If only because I'm I dabble in Beatles music. I've been known to I've been known to entertain a passing interest. I've been known to in... play a revolver <laughs> two. I was really excited for it because the Beatles have never properly had a feature film about mm-hmm. them, really. In the last 40 years. Well, no, they've been in films. Yeah. But there hasn't been Hard really...
1: Night is kind of about that, right?
0: Well, yeah, but they're in it. The Beatles are oh, okay. the main oh, okay.
1: actors in a Hard Day's Night. Mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yes. never
0: been in the same yeah. way as like Elton John and Queen have had their movies recently. Right. And this, this was
1: not quite that. Yeah, this
0: felt like a very Beatlesy move oh, yeah. in terms of like if the Beatles, the Beatles are a bunch of fucking weirdos and dorks, man. And if yeah. the Beatles were gonna do all these fucking cool art kids, if they were gonna do their own fucking biopic movie it feels like a very John Lennon
1: move put a big twist on it yeah it
0: feels like a very John Lennon move to be like what about a movie where we all just never existed yeah and be like fuck you that's the movie yeah very cool idea yeah and so I was quite excited for it stars Himesh Patel and Lily James and Himesh Patel plays the main character. Lily James plays his sort of best friend come manager that books his gigs and stuff, but they they sort of work full-time jobs. Neither uh, of them are very successful.
1: name's Ellie. Yeah. yeah, so Jack and Ellie.
0: And it quite quickly introduces the complication and the whole fucking No Beatles thing and gets you going down that quite quickly. Yeah. Um, I think for a start, I think one of the main strengths of the film is that the dude actually sings and plays all the songs. Yeah. Sometimes live on set, yes. there's a couple scenes where he plays yesterday. And The Long and Winding Road live on the set, and you watch him playing the piano and playing the and it's good.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, he's a very. They, it, this was clear that they needed to find a lead that was also an extremely talented musician.
0: Yeah, and there's an original soundtrack that features like 10 songs that aren't even really played in full on the movie that they recorded in full. They're quite good, they're good versions yeah. of them.
1: I think I, I read a review that was talking about his renditions of the music, which I, I think summed it up pretty nicely whoever this person was said basically that he manages to conjure the emotion of the Beatles, but not try to replicate them in any kind of perfect way or anything like that. In the same way that I was recently watching videos on like celebrity impressions and like different performances that are trying to replicate historical figures. And it just reminded me because you can conjure, you can do a less convincing, more accurate impression and, if you're not kind of focusing on the right aspects of what that person is. And in the same way, there's a real like feeling-based element that you can get right about this music that means that you don't have to be making it sound exactly like it did on the record to have it give you the same emotion.
0: Yeah, and so like one of the main things that the movie sort of entertains is the idea that if you're in a world that the Beatles never existed this random guy in London in 2019 is now playing all these Beatles songs that people are hearing for the first time. Yep. And so to some degree, it doesn't matter if it's not exactly how the Beatles did it. Because he's the only person that's going to know. Because he's the only guy that's going to know, exactly. Yep. So there's, there's a lot of really cool scenes where it shows him. Like, one of my favourite bits was like the bits where it gets into the nitty-gritty of trying to remember all that stuff. Yeah, like, there's a couple, gets... couple of gags. Yeah, or well, the gags as well, but he gets like a post-it notes across his wall of trying to just remember the names of all the Beatles songs, and he'll take them down right. as he remembers all the lyrics. The whole time through the film, he can never quite remember the lyrics to Eleanor Rigby, which drives him insane.
1: Yeah, there's a few. Because it's like the g-
0: it's one of the gems in the Beatles' crown of yeah. like... If you could pretend you wrote any Beatles song, you'd want to pretend you wrote fucking Eleanor Rigby, yeah. and he can't ever quite remember. He's like, oh, there's rice and there's a wedding, and he's remembering face all of and the, the door and it's
1: Ah He's having it's like if, <laughs> if there's a song where you're like, oh, I kind of know the lyrics to that, and so someone asks you asks you to you're sing like, it. All you're right, like, sing them. Okay, this, yeah. this is like this involves like there's a line about a banana and a yeah. line about driving a car and <laughs> yeah. whatever. But then if if someone's like, right. You have to write that song. You'd yeah. be like... Ca and
0: yeah. he's like trying to... Yeah, just work through it. So he's it got it like out. a notebook with him and like every now and then throughout the film he'll remember another line to Eleanor Rigby and be like, yes, got it! Yeah, he'll have Wearing to like a face that she kept in a jar by the door or whatever. Like. <laughs> Run away from yeah. some <laughs> conversation because
1: they've sparked a memory and he doesn't want to forget. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I think mostly though, what really irritated me about the film... <laughs> And I'm fine with, and we, we we sort of shared a couple of glances during this oh, the cinema. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine with characters in a film not behaving the way in which they would in real life, because that's the conceit of comedy movies. That's the conceit of all of thriller movies. It's the whole point of movies, you know? Yeah. No one's going to stop in the middle of a fucking sitcom and be like, hold on, all of this is based on a misunderstanding. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like that's the whole conceit of these things, but to some, at some point, you're like, "All right, this is stupid." <laughs> yeah, like, the, and yes. so there's this whole Richard Curtis, and I know he writes good stuff because I liked Love Actually, The Boat That Rocked is one of my favorite movies, Blackadder is one of the best sitcoms ever written.
1: Yeah, this is really a mark against him.
0: It's infuriating, man. So like every single time, there seems to be a dramatic moment in the movie. It's undercut, and the only joke in that dramatic moment is to interrupt it with. Like a socially unaware character, basically. Yeah. So, like, it'll be not this, but it's the equivalent of two people having a really emotional discussion where they're sort of breaking up with each other or having a divorce or talking about something really serious. Yeah. And then a phone will ring. And someone will interrupt the conversation that they've been overhearing that they know is serious and be like, sorry, sorry, uh, the, the news agent's on the phone. They want to know if you want to cancel your yeah. magazine subscription. And the characters will be like, yeah, not now, mate. And they're like, no, no, the magazine subscription. Yeah. and like,
1: Or it'll ease off. They'll have two or three more lines of dialogue and then it will happen again. And then again, it's fucking unbelievable. So
0: there's that specific moment where Jack is pretending that he wrote Let It Be and playing Let It Be to his parents. And they're like, yeah, cool, Jack, play us. We would love to hear your song. And it sets up the significance
1: of, like, these are the first people ever yeah. to hear Let It Be be played.
0: But it gets interrupted, like, four times. Yep. And it's just so annoying. And the
1: gag, like, it's it, it it's, it's kind of funny the first time. But this is off the bat. Be- it's the second song that you played. The first one is Yesterday, yeah. and everyone around him is kind of captivated by the beauty of this piece of music, so I was actually kind of hoping for a genuine reaction from these people who were hearing this beautiful music for the first time because I feel like that's meant to be representative of the what it was like the first entire time back world, and, yeah, and also what the entire world's reaction is going to be to hearing this music because this is a movie about how incredibly good that music is to the point where it's going to transcend time and and people are People will love it and people need to hear it. And I, I kind of felt like his parents not giving a fuck in that moment or not even really paying attention or listening to it, I thought that was setting up a a, a more interesting storyline, in my opinion, which yeah. is like, what if you tried to make it work and no one actually gave a fuck? I thought it was making commentary on how the music was outdated, but then that's not it. It's just that his parents are too bumbling and don't really give a shit. Yeah. And then he goes on... And people actually do like the music. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of, it's very tonally inconsistent, in addition to being fucking annoying. Because a, that, yeah. what we just described, happens maybe like eight or nine times in the film.
0: It's literally every single device. time. Literally every single time a dramatic scene has gone on for too long, they undercut the dramatic scene to the point where that dramatic scene no longer has any point. It's ruined. And almost didn't serve any purpose. Yeah. <laughs> But the gag that has interrupted it isn't good enough. Yeah. So it's like, if the dramatic scene was three minutes of setup to a hilarious gag, that's fine. Yeah. Or if the dramatic scene comes to a conclusion and the hilarious gag breaks the tension, that's fine. But the dramatic scene is always interrupted before its conclusion by a joke that's not funny. Yeah. Which it feels thinks itself to be
1: very funny. That was, I think, one thing that, like, maybe I was just being biased about this, but, like, this movie felt like, this whole movie felt like, yeah, it's a rom -com. And it's definitely a fucking rom -com. But it's a rom -com that thinks it's very fucking clever. And it's actually not clever at all. No. Like, it's so dumb. And it's such a Boring, stereotypical, cliched rom-com that the fact that it thinks it's better than the rest of all of the rom-coms makes it way worse, yeah, in it's my just, opinion.
0: Especially since it has such... It has this concept that I just think is so exciting. It's fucking really interesting. And it's like, really cool. I'm, not, I, I'm like,
1: nowhere near as much of a Beatles fan as, as you are, and I was interested about it.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, how are they going to do that? What would happen? Um, I think that... <sighs> There are a couple moments in the film where the music is really good, and they're good scenes. Like maybe just because he's a good singer. Like the because Ed Sheeran's in this film. I think one of my favorite bits about the whole film is how good Ed Sheeran is in it. Right. I think he's one of the more convincing characters in the film, and he's one of the characters that behaves the most rationally in the whole film. Yeah. Like he's been in a couple of things.
1: I don't have a particularly good reason for this, but I found his performance very flat and unconvincing. But I have found him that way in everything he's done. I think he might just be like
0: that. I think he's just a quiet person. Yeah, he's sort of... I think he's a relatively flat, quiet person. He's
1: quite uncomfortable on screen. And I think that comes across as a non -genuine performance. And that might just be who he is. I think he's just an awkward dude. But I think you're in a vast majority of people that have praised his performance on screen. Well, it's barely a performance. Actually, I hope no one watches this movie ever.
0: He's playing himself. Right. So I think it's... I suppose to some degree that's difficult. But I like still, he's
1: yeah, that's what people have said, that this is actually a good version of, of that. Yeah, right. No, I think it and is. normally people do a shit version of that. No, I, I,
0: I yeah. agree. Um, He's good. They
1: wanted Chris Martin, and they couldn't get him, so yeah. Ed Sheeran was a backup, and I actually reckon Chris Martin would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't
0: know. I thought he was good in it. There's a scene where Ed Sheeran asks Jack to play his as his support act on some tour mm. and then backstage afterwards because Jack has just claimed that he's written a whole bunch of the Beatles songs that he just performed on stage just on the plane all the way over. So he's like, all right, if you're so good at writing songs, let's go into separate rooms for 10 minutes and write the best song we possibly can in 10 minutes. Yeah. We'll come back. And Ed Sheeran comes back with something that's pretty good and Jack Mallet comes back with The Long and Winding Road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> I, I think is the best joke in the film.
1: Yeah. Because you think he's going to... You think there's no way that he's going to try and pass off having written a Beatles song in 10 minutes. And then he picks one of the... He's like, he's way misjudged it. He's picked one of the most beautiful, complex, intricately lyric Beatles songs, and he tries to say, yeah. And so, like, another thing is, yeah, there's this through line throughout the movie of Ed Sheeran being a little suspicious of him because he says it a couple of points. Like, I don't believe that... Like you just say you say you don't really know how you write these things. I don't believe you, and then they just sort of leave it. And he's like, I know there's more to this, but I'm not going to explore it anymore. And it just yeah. feels a little bit like if too many people called him on the premise, it wouldn't have been a rom-com film anymore. So they have to just kind of like cut it, cut it, do something else. I I found that this film suffered from its overly interesting premise because I spent way more time in my head taking that premise and running with it thinking about like what you would have done right or like what does this mean about the world and yeah. that it was so it, it then was so disappointing what it actually chose to do by occupying this world that i was just bored at best the whole time cuz it's literally so, just like
0: yeah he says he writes the songs everyone believes him right? he gets successful and minor complications ensue you.
1: right you find out early on in the movie that um, because he does this thing where he tries to Google various things, and you find out that it's not just the Beatles that have disappeared,
0: it's other shit too. But So, so the, the first one he finds out is that Oasis doesn't exist right, anymore. The, the band, band Oasis. That's, that's famous because they famously thought they were the Beatles of the 90s, right. and they were very, very publicly influenced by the Beatles.
1: Yeah, and so that sets up this film logic of... Right. Well, if it's maybe it's things, maybe it's like high points of art that have disappeared. And so it's making some statement about like, okay, Oasis are beautiful and they've disappeared. Well, the connection I got there
0: was Oasis only exists because the Beatles exist. I think the problem there is that that was more just a joke about like Oasis is just derivative of the Beatles. Yeah. And you weren't supposed to think anything more about it. I agree, that's what it
1: was. But I did think more about it. What
0: it's suggesting is everything that the Beatles resulted in. Don't exist anymore either, and you're like, well, why does half of the planet exist? Right,
1: but then you find out like, Coca-Cola doesn't exist anymore, and actually a bunch of different things just got like Thanos clicked out of existence. Coca-Cola, cigarettes, like a bunch of shit. Yeah, and there's a gag at the end of the movie in case anyone gives a shit about it but there's like lots of stuff where you sort of passively find out that like oh this never this was never invented like he'll mention
0: coasters and people are like what yeah and here's an
1: example that didn't make it in that i think perfectly exemplifies my fucking issue with this movie as a whole and again like i know i'm nitpicking a what if but this is such an interesting what if premise that i couldn't help but take these ideas yeah this is an interview that boyle was giving a cinema blend which is a terrible website. Sure. He says, I had this idea at one point that I was going to say the colour purple didn't exist and there was going to be a band called Deep Orange and the designer was not allowed at any point to use purple in any clothes or props. Eventually, it just became too expensive. My issue is, if you're going to tell me that the fucking colour purple doesn't exist, that's a commentary on the physical properties of light that you're making in this fucking world. So, like... Are you just arguing that? So you, okay, the Beatles have disappeared, and this guy has like made it his little personal mission to be like, okay, cool, I'm gonna write Beatles songs and get famous and shit. Yeah. And then you're also telling me that like, oh by the way, light is different in this universe. I I, I know that it's a water film, and you're just supposed to suspend your disbelief. I don't films, mind. I'm that not bit. gonna go to any any more depth than this about it. But for me. The fact that they stop so fucking early in the process of like what does or doesn't exist anymore that there's no logic to it and they can c- they're clearly just making jokes about what does and doesn't exist means that again, it's not interesting because the premise is so flawed and hastily rushed and broad stroked, but then yeah. it's 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 so like it feels like if the whole movie was about living in this world where, like, half of shit had been Thanosed out, you could just... I'm not going to start using that as a verb. Where, like... <laughs> Too late, bro. Where heaps <laughs> of important things had been, like, disappeared yeah. from existence. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds right? way better. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're going to live in this world, I think it's way more interesting to tell me about what it would be like to live in this world of someone trying to navigate how the fuck you go to... You know, like, how do you go to uni when you're getting a job? Like, what else didn't exist that never got invented? Could you become, sure. like, the modern-day Marie Curie because, like, Steve Jobs was never born and Apple never got formed and no one thought about the smartphone before you thought about it or whatever? Like, that type of stuff, that's way more interesting. It's a bigger scale. That's not what this movie was about. This movie was about Beatles music, and they tried to kind of make it... Like, they could have just kept it at the Beatles. I feel But like, then other yeah. shit was
0: gone, too. I didn't mind that. I thought that they were funny jokes... And I think that yeah. the step... the step, It just feels like you have to be dumb to ignore that. No, and well, I'm I, not ignoring it. I think that the thing you have to remember is the same thing that happens in a lot of time travel movies, is that it's like, no, time travel doesn't exist. You can't yeah. logic your way into like, well, no, if, if you did this in time travel, yeah. then it would cancel. It doesn't exist. Time travel they movies can set, do a much better job of yeah, being convincing well, so I think than this movie does, though. In the same way, and this is a failing of the movie, the movie is allowed to say... These are the rules of the universe. Yeah, sure. Shut up and accept it right. because it doesn't exist. Yeah. And so just be happy with it. Um I feel like it breaks its own rules. I think, yeah. Well, because the rule it breaks is the the Oasis joke, where they say this only exists because of the Beatles, therefore it's gone. Yes, that's and my so problem. So it with expects it introduces this level of complexity right. where you're supposed to be like Oh, well, what else has changed? Right. the whole Is the whole society different? Are people somehow more unhappy because the Beatles isn't there? Yeah,
1: like Apple Records would have failed because they never got the money from the Beatles or whatever, maybe. They wouldn't have, but like, what's the flow-through of that? What yeah. other bands aren't famous anymore because the Beatles were never famous? Right. Who was the biggest band instead? Was it Rolling Stones? Was you what know,
0: politicians or cultural uprisings? Were, yeah. Right.
1: What? Who was never inspired? And what, like, yeah, that's an interesting. Premise. I suppose I'm happy in some to some degree,
0: though, that. the level of complexity that you get stuck in there means that, like, the what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, yeah, you're stuck and you don't have a movie.
1: Yeah, I, I just think you've got to stop. Somewhere. I think you could draw the line at like the Beatles disappear. What happens to that? And also, yeah. you just make the movie about the Beatles. But getting all of these other side gags in is just like we've got this really interesting idea and then we just chose to do a rom-com instead and it's so fucking boring. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, That's I my d- problem with it. Anyway, I think getting too bogged down, I know this is, m- like, me being, like, <laughs> refusing to accept the what-if premise and suspend my disbelief. I have real trouble with that and it made me thoroughly, even more than you, I think, not enjoy this movie. Yeah. But... If you can get past that, then maybe there's something... Maybe there would be something good in here, but then it's still just a fucked rom -com.
0: Every scene... So I listened to a review of this movie, the Mark Kermode guy. I also
1: listened to it, yeah. Some Kermode.
0: I like that guy, and I think it's interesting, the perspective, because I often don't agree with him, but it's interesting, the sort of nitpicky things he picks up on. And he said, wait, this isn't a spoiler, he said, but wait till you get... There's a specific scene, and when you watch that scene, you're going to think why is this in the movie? Yep. And then Mark Kermode says, well, and also, if you look at that scene in isolation, you could remove it from the movie without changing anything else, and the film would still be fine. And I thought, like, oh, okay, I'll look out for that scene. And I got two hours into the movie and thought I'd found that scene five times. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, and I, I still didn't quite know which one he was talking about. It's I the bit with
0: the seaside shack. Yes. Yeah. I th- see, um,
1: now, that was what I thought it was, but it
0: applies to like 10 scenes. So there are so many scenes in this movie yeah. where it's not quite, you're not quite sure where it's going, why what, I'm watching this, what the point of the scene is. Yep. The romance. ...of the movie isn't particularly convincing?
1: I found it to be, like, at at, at its worst, like, manipulative and weird and predatory. Because, like, this is getting into spoiler territory, but I think the the decision that he makes to publicly address their romance is gross and I don't find it endearing at all. No. I think it's like, don't fucking do that to someone... Uh, that's really manipulative. That's yeah, really and, and, weird and pretty gross, and I think it's a bad thing to do. So I, I didn't even find it to be this. I think this model of like the Prince Charming thing, where at the end of the rom com, like it's a classic thing in this guy's movies, apparently, with the public declaration of love. Right? Yeah, have you seen Love Actually? No, I haven't. So like, apparently, that happens in that. Yeah, I think it does. It's just uh, fucking outdated.
0: I think that it's a very, it's a very, <sighs> the films that Richard Curtis does that are these rom -com, drama -y things, often a bit outdated, and often you can look at them and say, oh, well, these are problematic for these reasons. But in general, he goes for this sort of feel -good, generally romantic tone to the whole film... That I suppose is quite suited to the Beatles. Either the Beatles' sort of main message is "All you need is love," yeah. and Richard Curtis's main philosophy seems to just be how wonderful is love, and how wonderful is life, and can't we all just love, love, and love mm-hmm. life, and live in this little uh, fairy floss world? And so yeah. I think that Love actually does that a lot, where the whole film is just suspend your disbelief. And let's watch this two -hour -long rollercoaster about how lovely love is. Right. And it just means that often at points it gets a bit silly. Yeah. And at some points it gets to the point where it's like, right, well, at what point is this romantic and at what point is it just weird? Like stalking behavior. Yeah. Well, like after – I haven't seen About Time. Right. But I heard someone complain that it's a bit – have you seen Groundhog Day? Yeah. So you know how he goes and relieves the same day over and over again and works out what the lady likes and sort of tricks the lady into yeah, wanting to f- yeah, fuck him on yes. the first day, right? And how
1: that's a bit weird? And it's like, is it, yeah, is she actually falling in love or is it is like... Is this deceit or something? Right. Yeah, right.
0: So about time is that for a whole movie. Right. It's like this dude who works out that his family, the, the men in his family can travel in time. Oh, yeah. I've seen and so he travels premise. back in time or something to trick a girl into... It's really to weird. Act
1: to act perfectly for someone yeah, in a so way that they wouldn't have been able to do if they couldn't time And from, again, I haven't yeah. seen it, but like it's yeah. the
0: same kind of thing where it's like, right? well, on the surface I can see where you coming from, this bubbly, flowery, how lovely is love yeah. sentiment behind the film that's very twee and very cute. Yeah. But the more you unpack it, the more you're like, all this right, is well, what's going fucked. on here? Yeah. And what's going on here? Like the bit in Love Actually where the famous bit where he stands in front of the the front door and says pretend it's Christmas carol and holds those flashcard signs. Yeah.
1: I've only seen that used as meme format, but and yeah. it's
0: like, she's married, man. Yeah, like to your le- friend. Leave it alone. Leave her alone. Yeah, what are you doing? That's it. And it's this like, ign- ignore. I don't want to get too into it, but he like it seems like often he ignores social conventions or ignores what might be typically associated with being like the cool thing to do, for the sake of like, yeah. But isn't it romantic? Is it and ever it's, like,
1: a woman doing that? Because that's the thing that I had am- another like. Genuinely, I think my biggest problem with this movie is just that Ellie feels like a fucking empty, vapid like she, character. She lacks
0: any agency she's at all. She's
1: set up as like this, uh, as basically his manager and roadie, which actually puts her in a pretty strong position, right? Uh, of like, I don't know, having a fair bit of responsibility and agency and control in their relationship. She has
0: this career as a teacher, yeah, and he gets offered this record contract, and he says like Do you want to come over? We be a manager in America?" And she's like, "No, I have a job." Yeah,
1: I have right. responsibilities. No, fuck off. And then, like that is complicated multiple times. And her, it feels like her role beyond that point in the movie is to be teary-eyed and listen to him talk about whether or not he loves her or not. Yeah, and react to that in one way or another, which changes multiple times during yeah. the movie. I think this and is a. It's just it. It feels like this movie would not pass the fucking Beckdale test because you find <laughs> out not. that even when they were just mates, she had a lot of feelings for him and never did anything about it and then she pulls the maybe getting into spoilers. Yeah, I think this yeah, is a I okay. think this is
0: a good time to maybe sort of wrap it up and give a quick review and I'm then, a then we dude. can get into spoilers. I don't
1: know whether or not her character is fine or not, but like it felt very not fine to me. I was extremely disappointed with her characterization and I found her to be an extremely frustrating
0: character. We can talk about it in a sec after we've wrapped up the film I right. think a bit, but I think that all in all if you like Richard Curtis films, which I would say I didn't realize how many films he'd done. Yeah. I do, I suppose. Yeah, apparently I've seen good. a lot of his stuff and I've enjoyed it. Even in the weird Richard Curtis romance bubble that he seems to have established for himself. Mm. Um, when did you first watch Love Actually as well?
1: Because that movie came out ages, ages ago. ago. I, uh, right.
0: It came out in two thousand and three. I watched it when I was fuck. probably twelve or fifteen because it was like the only DVD at the Coast House Which where been we, like we were staying. Mid
1: two thousands. Yeah. So, so he he
0: wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, Love Actually, Jesus, War Horse, The Boat That Rocked, About Time, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Fuck. Uh, I
1: really liked The Boat That Rocked. Yeah, me too. Oh, That's he did a The
0: Story one. Among Me. Whatever. He's written a whole bunch of shit where, like, if you yeah. go through it, he's done... He was behind Mr. Bean, The Vicar of Dibley, and Blackadder. Right. And he's done Doctor Who. Um, mm. He has very clearly established himself as being a competent writer. Yeah. And it's just that I don't think I've enjoyed anything that he's done in the last 10 years.
1: Yeah. Yep. So... I don't know.
0: Whatever. Um,
1: I think well, that if I definitely you, didn't enjoy this. No.
0: I think that I like a good rom com. <sighs> I don't know. This was better than an Adam Sandler rom com.
1: Yeah, I gotta I gotta watch the notebook. Apparently yeah, that's right. a really good one. Um
0: I haven't seen very many bad rom coms, I suppose, because if I get a vibe that it's bad, I try to avoid it. But I would <laughs> say this is probably worse than um, when Harry Met Sally. Oh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. What about that? Perks Being a Wallflower. That's, uh, yeah, I don't, not really a rom-com, I would say. Maybe it's a little bit. Okay. I, I mean, it's not, like no, rom-com, no, no. rom-com. rom-com. Rom- yeah, okay. My, yeah, favorite, fair, fair my favorite rom-coms are probably When Harry Met Sally and Love Actually. I haven't seen either of those two. When Harry Met Sally is sincerely great. Yeah. And that's also got a weird kind of vibe to it that not a lot of people really know about. Because it's set across like... 30 years. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard so the premise. So, yeah. Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal play the same characters over the course of like 30 years. They meet in college. And then again. And, and again. she thinks he's yeah. a total dick. And then it flashes forward five years like three times. Yeah, And it's about, it's this beautiful funny story about two people who are kind of perfect for each other, but at different stages in their lives yep. always. So, they're, they're always, it's kind of, we, we talked the other day we talked last episode about when you reconnect with someone after a few years and you're like oh you're there are you and one of you's grown more than the other right. it's kind of about that for a whole lifetime where yeah. like you know looking outside in these two people are perfect for each other but they're always at different stages in their lives and never quite right for each yeah. other Um, and it's funny it's it's it's, it's a good rom-com it's yeah. not just some yep. dumb fucking I feel like often rom-com is used dismissively absolutely it's a really good movie Right. Uh, similarly Love Actually I don't know, you could probably go back and now explain to me why it's problematic, and it probably is problematic. Yeah, but, it's, but it... Yeah. I, I was entertained when I watched it the first sure. time.
1: When it, maybe when it came out, yeah. This
0: was, movie, fuck this movie.
1: Yep, this movie sucked really hard. Yeah. I, 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 I preferred Rocket Man vastly more than I preferred this Yeah, film. Jesus, we Man. I would rather Rocket watch Rocket Man three more times <laughs> Oh my God. than watch this film once.
0: Well, because this film lacked the charm... Uh, I think we, we could probably launch into spoilers now. So Fuck if you haven't yeah. seen yesterday and you do want to or Who you don't cares? want to have anything spoiled, what are you doing? But also, yeah. like, make, tune out now. Make the other choice. We'll see you later. Yeah, um, bye. Hope it's <sighs> fucking... I, we're right. <laughs> um, so I, I had really hoped to be swept away in the wonder and the magic of the Beatles, and I never really got that no. in this. Um, I thought that her character getting more into her character specifically there's a bit towards the end of the movie where we sort of discussed it before she says like you've never loved me and this whole time I've been your friend and manager I've loved you yeah I have been waiting for the day when you would wake up and love me back right and it's been 10 years and now here you are writing all these amazing love songs. And none of them are about me. You've never even spoken to me about yeah, any feelings for me. Yeah, she gets drunk at me. some
1: point and like looks at post-it notes on the wall, and one of them says like,
0: Is "Which one?" Jul- uh, Julia and Michelle, and then I love her and whatever. Yeah,
1: and she's like, "It's in a column," and she's like, "When am I going to be in that column?" And you're like, "What?" At some point in the film, a character was like, "Are you too shagging?" Yeah, and she was like, "She did the." What? Uh, oh. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, no. Ugh. I read that very much as like, uh, what? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Good joke, man. That will never happen.
0: I saw it as like, a, I wish. <laughs> oh, um, okay. I just what, read it though, whatever. Whatever. the way. way. But the point is, at the moment when she says, I loved you, and you've never loved me. Yeah. Why haven't you ever told me you love me? As an audience, we're like, right, well, I haven't really seen much evidence for that. And so you should have just expressed that. Just yeah. shut up! You can't. It's a classic. No. This could
1: have been resolved by having like one conversation. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and I feel like that's I don't know. Maybe it's a common human thing to like stress about whether or not they love you back and not. But ten years.
1: Yeah, the, I think that the ten years the and then you just being, blame them well, that's and say not their fault then.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck. Um.
1: Very frustrating.
0: And so, just the idea that this this female character seemed to lack any agency. Yeah. In a genre where that's a pretty problematic trope, and it but doesn't the best feel of times.
1: like that really makes her the bad person because you've also watched Jack like repeatedly choose other options other than her, and she sort of kept sort of pursuing it, but she also chose not to stay well, with you know, him. So it's sort of like, well, you've both made choices, it just feels like no one wanted that, and well, then exactly. all of a sudden you're like, I wanted that, and he's like, but oh. uh, maybe I want this too it's, just, it's not very convincing, is it? No, neither of their interest is convincing
0: Well, there's a scene where Jack is offered a record deal And he has to go to America to record the album That can't possibly take more than a few months Yeah, it's not, yeah And Ellie, or whatever the fuck her name is Says like, right, well I love you, actually But now you have to, what, do you love me or what? Because if you go to, if you go to America and record this album We're done forever It can never happen. It's like it doesn't really... Surely, if you actually felt that way for 10 years, you understand that this guy wants to go and record his album and he'll come back and he'll love you. Like, what's this unreasonable fucking ultimatum?
1: Yeah, also, if he's making an absolute fucking ass ton of money, you don't need to have a job anymore if you guys want to be together. Seriously, if it's like... Oh, the love of my life is pursuing this musical career. Do I quit my job and, like, go with them? And they kind of want me to... It's like, well, yeah, you're well, he, just paying for all the hotels.
0: <laughs> you don't even need to have her quit her job. He could just, for a couple months, it's just the most insane representation of Sorry. everything that happens in this film. I'm where, assuming like, that that leads to him having to yeah, stay right. there. Okay, fine. It
1: didn't even ask that they question. They didn't even
0: know that. Right. It was just like, you're going to go record now for a couple months? I guess we'll never be yeah, together. I guess um, you're dead to me. And it's the same thing where, like, look, if these two people are clearly having a, a an emotional conversation in a coffee shop about breaking up forever, no rational human being interrupts that conversation with a FaceTime that's already going yeah. and holds that camera up to the people having the conversation. Like that happens yep. several times. No rational person answers a phone call on the couch in front of the person that's playing them Let It Be on the piano. No, and the this whole film is just no rational person would do that. And in a film where the whole question is what if, what would you do if this happened? Yep. A film populated entirely of people behaving like no one would ever behave... <laughs> right. <laughs> ...makes it so infuriating.
1: Yeah, because it doesn't even feel like the film is taking place in that reality. It just makes it feel like you're watching a shit movie, which yeah. you are.
0: I uh, found a stat here that says that they spent $10 million getting the right for the Beatles music for this film. What um, well, the... Or the budget of the film itself was only like $24 million, So, like, almost... A co- if those stats Jesus. are to be believed almost half the budget of the movie itself was just getting the rights to the Beatles songs. And I think it's a testament to how shit the movie is and how much of like a free pass it was to have the Beatles songs in the movie Yeah, I, I read that they were just the best bit of the movie.
1: I read a lot of criticism that if it wasn't the Beatles, it could have been another band and it wouldn't have changed the storyline at all. It just would have changed the popularity of the music with maybe the exception of that the John Lennon thing, which right. you could so, also supplant with another member of the band. It's nothing special about John Lennon.
0: Yeah, well, that's this weird twist at the end where, like, there are the. It turns out that there are these people, there are a couple other people in the movie that also remember the Beatles. Two other people. Two other people. Like, they're at a concert or they hear him on the radio and they're like, what? Holy fuck. Someone yeah. else remembers them? And they track him down. And I think that was one of the most exciting elements of the movie that was also completely wasted you think that's going to be the main complication you think they're going to expose him I suppose rationally they can't prove anything people would think they're crazy but like I thought they were going to have some sort of like people start to shout at them at press conferences and hold up this yellow submarine as a way of spooking him which I thought was a cool thing about like experimenting a bit more and exploring a bit more like the psychological and ethical dilemma that's about, like, passing off someone else's work as your own if no one else knows about it.
1: He's reasonably guilt -plagued, but you do feel like he's on a trajectory to justify it to himself. Yeah. The whole time, I was like, what about when he runs out of Beatles songs?
2: Yeah, well, there is a bit... He
1: does, like, a double album straight up, and I was like, well, there's not... Like, there's a lot of Beatles music, but there's not that much Beatles music, like... Drip feed this stuff, buddy. This they is have, the they have, rest of your life. I think
0: they have something like two hundred and thirty. Yeah, songs. but
1: once you're done with that, you yeah. are useless.
0: <laughs> well, th- there there it's is a well scene,
1: established that he cannot fucking write music yeah. for shit.
0: There is a scene that he there is a scene where like he tries sl- he tries to slip in like one of his own songs or Here Comes the Sun, and everyone's like, Yeah, probably Here Comes the Sun, actually. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, um, fuck. Yeah, I don't know. I I'd gotten myself all worked up to like wax lyrical about the Beatles for an hour and about how significant they are and about how interesting it is to explore this concept, but I think the fact that the movie was just so shit and was just a shit rom-com with 10 million dollars worth of Beatles music as a rapper, it is just a bummer.
1: Kate McKinnon as well, like she was just annoying. in terms of the other, I mean, every character in this film was fucking annoying. Every character, I think. Yeah. I don't think there was a character I liked in this film. There wasn't a character... what about the main
0: character? He was fine, Jack. but he
1: was also kind of just fucking annoying. Like, the way that he behaved just irritated me. Good performance, yeah. annoying. Annoying person. Good like, singer. Hapless, dweeby shit. And that yeah. was convincing... But Annoying, so like I genuinely wasn't glad. You know, how like sometimes there's the character, the comic relief character that comes on screen, and everyone's like, oh, yes, here we go. Like Tyrion in Game of Thrones, he comes on screen, and you think, Doesn't really matter when or where the comic this relief is, character I Rocky is about to enjoy, yeah. this scene, right? So that th- never happened. There is a specific once. comic
0: relief character in this film, Rocky, who's like the deadbeat dude.
1: Yeah, who can't ever do anything right to the point where it's not even realistic how shitty he is at not being able to do anything right or funny.
0: Easily the most irritating part of the whole film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Meant to be the comic relief, genuinely the least funny aspect of the entire film. Yeah. And then there's... Yeah, so the other character that kind of plays a major part is Kate McKinnon, who is his, like, predatory capitalist manager. Yeah. And she's just so fucking one -dimensional... That it's completely uninteresting. She's literally like, she is she's about sex and money and both of those things together. Where she's like, basically like, money makes me horny. I I, I want to fuck anything that can make me money. But like if those are her make lines, money, literally. Uh, j- uh, yeah, I'm I'm not really exaggerating that. I'm just condensing
0: it. Like, yeah, like every single line she has is a joke about his physical appearance and how
1: ugly and unmarketable he is. Which is relating to how much money he can make her
0: Yeah, or it's just a jo- or, or it's just some joke about like, I'm a record executive and I want to make money." Well, she literally yeah. says that. She will literally say, uh, her, introdu- her introductory line in the whole movie is, "Hi Jack, you make great songs. Yeah, how about we make a lot of money together and I'll take most of it. Right
1: On top of that, I could have dealt with that, but uh, I mean like it wasn't interesting, but I- it would have been fine. and then at one point, she comes on to him. And it's like, right,
0: no one in this movie, especially none
1: of. Yeah, when she's like kind of cozying up to him and then Ellie walks in at one point. I thought
0: that was a misunderstanding. She's just like kissing him on the floor, like, go get him, you beautiful bastard. And then I think that Ellie walks in at exactly the
1: wrong moment. I don't know. I got like a maybe she kind of wants to fuck him vibe. I didn't get that vibe. Well, I thought the weirdest bit
0: about Kate McKinnon's performance is that. Kate McKinnon has a very specific tone yes. to how she portrays a character that's kind of weird and in, in this film or in general. In general, right? Uh, weird and very quirky, Yep. and sort of not a very realistic, but a very suitably comic portrayal of characters. Yeah,
1: she's like she's an SNL like Tina Fey uh, that. Every gang.
0: character she plays sounds like a caricature and right. I didn't feel that her style of acting and that's exactly what she does in this film I didn't feel that it was particularly suited to the film I think she stuck out like a sore thumb in every scene
1: yeah I think it was perfectly suited to the film because it was it was perfectly incongruous with all other aspects of the incongruous <laughs> film well like yeah I get where you're going from and I kind of agree but yeah it just it felt like well why shouldn't it be a an out a weirdly sore performance because like uh, if it were good book, it yeah. would yeah exactly if it were good it would be the odd thing out
0: yeah the last thing is that I thought that the I don't know the most interesting part of the thing and I think that the thing that we the, the question we sort of burnt ourselves out on the literal two hour yeah. argument we had before recording this yeah. was the question of does the Beatles music have any sort of inherent value. Or more sort of succinctly put, does the premise of the film hold up? Like, would
1: if this happened today, would people love that music the way that they did back then? Right.
0: So if the Beatles had never existed and some random fucking guy just came out with all this music... Yeah. Like, if would, there was
1: a Triple J on Earth artist that was actually just producing, like, Beatles songs, Beatles music. Would it be the wildfire that it Would was? he be the
0: most popular yeah. musician on all the planet? Speaking of someone who loves the Beatles... I don't necessarily think they would. No, I agree. I think, and we were sort of talking before about the idea that a lot of the success behind the Beatles is of course that their music has some sort of inherent quality, but also the fact that it's a product of its time and it's a product of the context in which it was produced. And just the idea that like it was produced at a time when people were really sort of just getting off the ground with like basic rock and roll type stuff and this was like 10 steps ahead of what everyone else was doing yeah this was
1: like almost fucking 70 years ago it
0: literally yeah 50 years ago yeah it almost it almost literally 60 to 20 60 years ago yeah it literally it almost literally sent Brian Wilson insane with how good some of their music was yeah like, they had a competition with the Beach Boys, the other band that were cranking out, like, ridiculously popular Pet Sounds, critically acclaimed music, and then they came out, with, the Beatles came out with Sgt. Pepper, and Brian Wilson had a fucking breakdown about how good it was. Yeah. Um, so, like, creatively speaking, in terms of critical acclaim in the 60s, it was very well received. And, of course, they, I think, to, some, to this day, have a lot of... Uh, sales records that have never been broken in terms of like yeah. n- number of singles at number 1 and number of weeks at number 1.
1: The fact that they're having like a film made about them is puts them in a similar exactly. echelon of uh, to like Queen and yeah. uh, you know um Elton John except they they were earlier. So yeah. they've they're showing their longevity even
0: more yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. I just I I, th- I don't know. I think it's an interesting question to ask and it's the sort of question that's impossible to ask in a vacuum because of the influence that it's had. Like, they play yesterday in the film and they're like, that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. And I think it's literally impossible to hear that song, like, for the first time. It's it's impossible to try and hear that song with fresh ears because I think everyone's heard that song like a million times. Yeah, you were saying it's, it's like the most it's the covered most song. the most covered song of all time. <laughs> I think there are l- over 2,000 commercially available covers, covers by whatever. Right. A-
1: yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, uh, of the 7 billion people on the planet, like how many people have already heard yeah. yesterday.
0: Not a small amount. Yeah. Well, like there's um there's an interesting, you know, there's the Fine Brothers React videos. Uh no. I think it's like part of it's like a hellhole, black hole of the internet where culture goes to die. But basically, they have a cast of like 10 toddlers and 10 Seven oh, year olds. is this the teens react to teens react uh, bullshit? Right, right. yeah. yeah so I've heard about it. They have one Literally that's never like one. I think that so they they have one that's like a kids react to the Beatles, right? And half of the kids haven't heard the songs, right? And the other half of the kids are like three year olds that are like, oh yeah, this is H G. Of course, I've heard this. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, and uh, I think a, a lot, a lot of the ki- the little kids haven't heard any of it. But I think it's it's interesting to, and I think it's the closest you get. The reason I mention right. it is it's the closest you're going to get to trying to play this music without raising people, someone like in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, for people that have never heard it before. Yeah,
1: because the other thing is, I keep thinking about like, right. Well, what about like fucking? I mean, I know that they were actually still pretty wildly popular in places like Japan. Um, and probably a bunch <laughs> of other like non-Western countries. Yeah. But what about the like Philippines? Yeah, and fucking shit. India. Like, uh, y- you know, I, well, India actually because George Harrison's connection to it. But um, I don't
0: know enough about other countries right, where they so weren't popular.
1: Somewhere like Tibet. It's like they don't have the same cultural. No, obviously not. History that Western countries have. Yeah. And so, like, would they do they give as much of a shit about it? Well, probably not. But. um... What does that then mean for, like, how much people would give a fuck about it? I don't really know. And I guess without raising someone in, like... Sorry. My point is... I think you're right. It's hard to get someone in the environment of like, I've never heard any of these songs before, but you're also not necessarily going to get someone that has enough of the context now to be able to still appreciate it in the same way because it's becoming more and more dated. Yeah. So you're almost never going to find that perfect person that has all of the cultural context to appreciate what these songs are, but has also never heard any Beatles songs before and could give you this like, yes, these are brilliant. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of, yeah, the opportunity to figure that question out is kind of missed, I think.
0: And I think that's why it's such a weird, complex question yeah. that it's nice to hear, oh, someone's been thinking about this for a couple of years and they're writing a movie about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, it does sound like it would be nice for that to have happened.
0: Yeah, and you're like, oh, cool. Well, I can't really think off the top of my head how that would happen. Yeah. And it seems like he but didn't he care a about that. But just... here's a professional scriptwriter yeah. who's given it a go. Just gave. We just got his off the top of the head musings on it. Like, Fuck. oh, uh, Oasis didn't exist. What if purple wasn't cigarettes. around? Cigarettes. Uh, no, that'll do. Fuck me, man. Fuck. The um, purple thing? That's
1: so dumb. Like, that's like saying, what if we never invented chairs? Well, Humans th- have... Think- the way that... If no one, if the first person never to invent a chair didn't invent a chair, the second person to ever invent a chair would have invented a chair. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's no, not I this
0: thing that you can just go without. I don't mind that as this, no, nah, I, don't, I don't mind Cola that part of the movie. The is,
1: like, fine. Because, yeah, some other brand of that thing would exist.
0: Yeah, well, no, I, I don't mind just, uh, like, yep. uh, a weird uh. thing happens and random shit gets erased. Sure. sure, this movie's about the Beatles, but also cigarettes got erased. Yeah. Um, and like, oh, the per- color purple. The first
1: question, know. when as soon as they said the cigarettes thing, I was like, what about cigars? Does cigars still <laughs> fucking exist? What about cigars? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what my, I, I, I'm, I, I suppose, I sit there stewing on it because yeah. I was or hating or the movie. This is the my c- brain was instantly just like, what about things that are like cigarettes? Yeah. <laughs> are those gone too? Is <laughs> tobacco did, gone? Does everyone's brain just turn off as soon as they stop thinking about a fucking cigar? Yeah. I just oh, don't, oh, I, hate uh, oh. I hate it. I hate this or movie. The
0: problem is, it's such an, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an, uh, we've said it before it's an idea that seems like you could go really deep on it and you do this could. crazy ass yeah. sci-fi level analysis of this idea and have this whole deep world based around it and instead they're like nah it's just a dumb rom-com and yeah. the guy's good at singing Let It Be jump on and like what if cars never existed buses still around though
1: yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's
3: the same thing <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man yeah but, um, yeah,
1: I think you're right. I think it, it would just be way more. It would have been a way better film if it had focused a lot harder on the Beatles and Jack Malick's yeah. interaction with the Beatles stuff and watching him <laughs> grapple. It was the most interesting bit, I watching thought. Watching him grapple with the guilt of representing these songs as his own. Yeah. And maybe he could try and, like, I don't know. I, I thought it would have been interesting for him to try and, like, change the music more and see how people in the story or in this world react to, like, his personal influence on. Yeah. this music or whatever. Maybe I expected it to be that he couldn't remember some of the lyrics so he made up his own and it was like permanently etching the different lyrics that in the been history cool. or whatever. Um,
0: didn't happen. Stuff I thought was interesting. Uh, so the one version that I really didn't like was Help. Help. Yeah. The um, fact
1: that I picked which one you were going to say it sucked. It was a bad version. It was annoying
0: didn't like but it. I think it's interesting because that's a film that that's a song that I got a lot of appreciation for hearing a John Lennon interview about it more recently where... John was talking about, obviously it's an archive interview, but John was talking in this interview about how there were Beatles songs that he was looking back on about how he would do differently. And he said when he originally wrote Help, he was having really shitty problems with his mental health. And he was... Huge, it was like 1964 or 1965 or something, and they were hugely popular and hugely famous. And it was one of those like, "You're John Lennon, you can't possibly have any problems." Right. But yeah, really, like, his marriage—do you have his marriage yeah. was breaking down, and he was getting—I I think he was getting kind of fat, and he was getting like addicted to drugs and things. <laughs> I might be conflating a whole bunch of different shit, but the the point is, he was in a really I shitty think when place. When you're that famous, you
1: have a hard life. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he was—he
0: was in a really shitty place. Anyone diff- that's like, but you're rich. Yeah. That makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, no, he was having a lot of mental health problems for sure. Yeah. And he said like, no, man, the, the lyrics in that song, I meant it. I was asking for help. Like, yeah. I didn't know like how to reach out. I'm not the sort of person that's good at reaching out emotionally. Yeah. I'm sincerely asking for help. And when he wanted to do the song slowly, the rest of them were like, oh, it'll be a better single if it's fast. <laughs> and so they played it. as this, this rock and roll fast song. Fast. Right. And there's this really sort of He's just like sitting there in the studio, it's dead in his hands. Yeah, exactly. God, and so like, and that was a really heartbreaking. As I often hear, can we run through? I'm gonna kill
1: myself tomorrow.
0: It's
1: better when it's fast. I think. I'm gonna kill myself.
0: Yeah, and so like, I think about it now, and it's yeah, I agree. It's better when it's fast. It's this fast paced poppy rock song. Yeah, but you listen to the lyrics, you're like, fuck. Yeah, hearing that he sincerely felt everything that's in that song. It's a really heavy song. And there's a this a bootleg later on when they're just fucking around in the studio right. and he's playing this slow version of a song on the guitar and it's that and he can't remember the l- chords or the lyrics. So right. he never gets a slow version out. But he right. tries and sort of like starts playing the slow acoustic Shows you version what it would he wanted be like. and he can't finish it. But to some degree, I could see how that was a good reworking of help right because Jack was in a really frustrated ver point of his life and yeah. it's almost like a punk rock adaptation of that where he's screaming it's, the lyrics it's more to help. like
1: angry yeah
0: and it's like a yeah like a pixies or oh, not even I don't know I'm just checking that because they scream I don't know it's like he's, he basically he screams yeah. the, he screams the lyrics punk, to help punk rock is, is a good exactly it, yeah. um and I found it hard to enjoy that because it's not the sort of music that I enjoy um but yeah. I thought that it was an interesting reworking of the thematic content of the song. Right. Yeah, so that's that's, yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's I, what I've got about it. I that.
1: think it was an appropriate
0: place to use it. I, just, I didn't like
1: the cover of it. It no. was one of the more, like, relevant beats to the story. Yeah. And they kept asking questions about, like, because that's a song where it's like, well, that clearly is a cry, literal cry for help. Yeah. Um, And then there's other ones of, like, oh, how do you write the songs to Obla oh, oh, Da? And it's, like, his answer is always, like, I don't
0: know. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be more interesting if, like... I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe he, like, has to make it up or some shit. I don't know. Well, I
0: think it's funny because, like, the... That would be just as cryptic, I think. Having someone come out with these weird fucking songs in 2019 about back in the USSR and stuff, yeah, is almost like it's almost like what we were talking about about Bob Dylan. I can't remember whether this is on air or off air. Just the idea that, okay, well, the idea like Bob Dylan back in the 60s, there are a lot of interviews you can watch with him where he's just deliberately so evasive about what his songs mean. Yeah, some
1: dickhead reviewers, like, is this Elvis? Yeah, it's just about Elvis? Exactly. Like, is the thief Elvis? Oh,
0: in all on the Watchtower, <laughs> are the writers uh, society and Elvis is the thief, and you are the Joker and or whatever. Yeah, and like, and he's just like, or they'll be like, oh, in hey Mister, or in the Rolling I Stone, just write songs, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, who's the Chrome Horse Diplomat in like a Rolling Stone? <laughs> and he's like, look, they just sound fucking cool. Yeah, because I just probably, write like, songs.
1: He did have something in his head, but it's probably easier than like.
0: Yeah, but Going also. Going through the nuance or whatever. Exactly. But there are a lot of really interesting, he gives a lot of really interesting, funny answers where these naive 1960s, 1950s ass reporters yep. will ask him questions like, uh, Are you a poet or a musician? And he's like, uh, I like to think of myself as a song and dance man, you know? <laughs> and he gives like the stupidest, most flippant answer. Yep. And they're like, Yeah. Because <laughs> it's these fucking out of touch. Normie is trying to pretend they yeah. understand what he's talking about. I think that's a good way of dodging what songs are about because I think often when songs are this weird and cryptic. psychedelic and cryptic, often it's like just enjoy that they're weird, man. Yeah. And so there's a good way of doing
1: that. Uh, and also, like your interpretation is as valid as anyone yeah. else's interpretation, so don't worry exactly. about it Exactly. You know, don't try to get to the bottom of the answer. It's more fun yeah. to
0: have there be a vague, to have it be vague. Mm. And I think that they could have done that in this movie. Yeah. And instead, they just... They could have played like, around with Duh, it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, the closest mm. that they come is like, why'd you call it USSR? It's Russia now. And then it's like
0: moved on from. Yeah.
1: And it's
2: like...
0: Yeah. It just seems that there's a good movie in there somewhere. <sighs> like, this, this ain't it, chief. That ain't it. <laughs> That's, it's not it. Oh, man. I'm sorry this isn't the joyous romp through the Beatles' career that I'd hoped it was. Yeah,
1: but I had my time robbed from me and thus unto <laughs> you. Yeah.
0: Um, if you're never giving the Beatles a crack, their first album is brilliant.
1: Revolver? No. Revolver no. Their
0: very, very, very first album is called Please Please Me. Oh, they yeah. recorded it all in one day, and it's brilliant. They recorded Twist and Shout last in one take because they knew that it would absolutely shred John Lennon's vocal cords mm. when he sung
1: it. That's a fucking banger as banger, well, Twist and Shout. was
0: that yep. one that's on the record is the first take. One go at it. Because after they did that, his voice was too hoarse to do it again. <laughs> and they've go. been recording all day.
3: Twist and Shout.
0: So, yeah, yeah. people say that the Beatles' old stuff is just shooby doo wop do wop doo wop stuff. I think that first album proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that it has value yeah. and it's great music. Also,
1: like the White Album, Sgt. Pepper's and whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. Going on, on the famous ones. I think that.
0: Sgt. Pepper is an album that is more influential than it is good these days. I right. think the White Album is an album that is more likely to be popular these days. Yeah. They released a new remix of it recently. The White Album's fucking weird. It's got all sorts of different, like, hardcore rock and blues stuff and then weird poppy stuff all on one album.
1: I feel like you're a little too deep in to recognise that this fact is, like, probably something that a lot of people don't know. But how long were the Beatles releasing music for? Right. Because they released over, you were, you were saying, 280 songs.
0: Two hundred. I think I think that I'm going to pull a number out of my ass and say that in the 10 years, roughly, that they were making music, they released 230. 30 different songs across all their singles and B -sides and everything. 23 a year. Yeah. That's a
1: lot of fucking songs. Like, Tame Impala releases an album like once every five years and these guys were doing two a year.
0: Yeah. Well, between 1963 and 1965 they had already released six albums. Right. So
1: that's fucking crazy. Yeah. And the fact that, like, one thing that you'll notice if you go in on the Beatles anthology and you can just kind of pick different songs, or if you listen to, like, some best of, or whatever. Yeah. They sound... It's really hard, because they all just sound like, oh, these are just Beatles songs now. But if you listen to, like, the actual tone and quality of the music, like, there's huge variation in there. They were fucking around with so much different stuff. There's really, really distorted Rocky music, there's this wall of sound stuff, like in, um... What's the famous wall of sound one? The one that ends with, like... Oh, uh, Day in the Life. Yeah, Day in the Life, right. So you've got like, yeah, back in the USSR, which is like classic rock, then like Day in the Life, which, which is like, like an really orchestra super experimental it. orchestrated thing. Then you've got like Blackbird, which is like really light on acoustic stuff. You've got goofy stuff like When I'm 64,
0: Yellow Submarine. Like there's so much
1: variation in these guys' music.
0: So their first album came out in 1963 and they broke up in 1970. Yeah, right.
1: So seven years. Yeah, like seven or eight years. Yeah. Not a long time.
0: They released thirteen albums between nineteen sixty three and nineteen seven. God, I that's think. a lot of Something fucking like that.
1: music. And like, yeah, they've got the occasional dud and like some of their stuff is not really as interesting as a lot of their other stuff. I think they literally but
0: have half of one album that's bad and that's it.
1: Right, exactly. I would probably agree with that. Like and and it's half and of Yellow Submarine. That are, like a little <laughs> like, Yeah, right. A little annoying and yeah. it's kind of like ugh. and then Other than that, it's just music that's at worst not probably something that
0: people are into, but still good. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most interesting... So, like, yeah, Please Please Me was their first album, and it came out in 1963. And then Let It Be was their last album, and it came out in 1970.
1: And the fact that they weren't even dried up when they finished,
0: like, Let It Be is a great album. Like, six... How's this? About six years separate albums. I want to hold your hand and she loves you from like, here comes the sun and something. Right. Six years. Oh, and I
1: forgot about all the fucking George Harrison stuff. Yeah. Like, here comes the sun.
0: Right. So six years, they, they took them six or seven years to get from, I want to hold your hands yeah. to here comes that the sun. That is wild. Yeah. That's
1: like if, for any, I don't even know if other, I mean like maybe Pink Floyd has done a transformation that's sort of like that, but not even then Pink Floyd stuff feels more cohesive across time. Like, you go from something early like Adam Hart Mother. That's not even that early, but like through to like Dark Side of the Moon and Division Bell and e- oh, even their latest yeah. stuff. Um, it, it still has that tone of like they sound like completely rock. different. They people. shift complete genres, and, and if you it it sounds like it sounds like they're doing covers of other people's music. They literally are music. at the beginning, yeah, yeah, because that's how different it sounds. It sounds mm. like well the same band that wrote Who Comes Here Comes the Sun couldn't possibly have written back in the USSR, right? They're too yeah. different. But it's like, well, no, it was just this one guy's particular kind of passionate influence and the other ones were talented enough musicians that they just decided to run with it. And out of it was born this completely different thing that's also great for a whole bunch of different reasons. And that just happened repeatedly again and again and again in this crunched period of time where it feels like they've been around for decades and really they were around for less than one
0: I read this book that's like a fucking 600 page book about the Beatles early years that only covers like the years before their albums even came out and it just outlines how they all grew up and all their influences and like how John Lennon was this weird art school kid and Ringo was sick and didn't get very well educated and Paul was in this like sheltered little family it sort of outlines what their influences are and how they sort of became the people they were and just the insane miraculously of events that led to these four dudes being in the same place at the same time Yeah. and like yeah the fucking miracle it is that these people found each other and formed a band Um, and you can see throughout all their music the complimentary way in which they write songs and the way in which like Paul often brings the sweetness and the musicality to the rough grittiness that John often brings yeah, and then the way in which, like, even though it's a Lennon-McCartney song, often back in the day, George would contribute enough musical stuff that in these days he'd probably get a writing credit for. Yeah,
1: but, yeah, they they weaseled out of that shit. Well, I think
0: it was just wasn't how it was back then. Yeah. Like, like these days you get bands like Muse, where it's like, all songs written by Muse. Whereas back then yeah. it would have been like a Lennon-McCartney song yeah. or whatever. And the rate at which they were pumping this shit out. The like different vocal qualities.
1: And, like, I, I think that w- another thing that people probably don't know, like, my dad's a big... Big fan of these ones. Your dad is too. McCartney went on to have a really successful solo career. He's still performing. Wings are really great. His his sort of band after the Beatles, they've got some really good songs. Band on the Run. They did a fucking Bond theme song. Like that's it's not and it's not that wasn't just on the name of McCartney. Like it's a great memorable song. And like John Lennon, who went on to do like Imagine and a bunch of other shit that. Huge
0: solo career, became that huge social activist and, like, martyr. Right, probably. And, like,
1: people remember him, I think, a lot for, like, Yoko Ono's influence and being this absolute shithead, which he was. However, that aside, a very talented artist. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, I, th- I just think the fact that they had such a strong catalogue in such a short period of time and they didn't break up because they just were fucking out of ideas completely. They broke up because yeah. they had artistic disagreement and went on to successfully realise those artistic pursuits mm.
0: or die was pretty amazing. Incredible. Uh, just the amount of sheer variety and scope and quality of what they were cranking out. Mm. When they were releasing two albums every year in the early 60s, and then they stopped touring and just went back into the studio, people thought the Beatles had dried up and had given up and were fucked because they hadn't released an album in a year.
1: Right. <laughs> Imagine that nowadays. Yeah. Where it's just like someone's like, hey, Boards of Canada, when are you releasing your next album? Yeah. like, it hasn't been eight years yet. Fucking settle down. it had have been
0: a whole year. Stop and so sending pe- us mail. People ha- people thought like, oh, the Beatles kind of done. Yeah. Um, and Paul said he was like, just you wet boy you wait because the album they came out with was Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts right. Club Band <laughs> which, is which came out in
2: 1967 mind. later on in
0: 1967 they then also released Magical Mystery Tour which had Strawberry Fields Forever yeah. Penny Lane and All You Need Is Love on it and Hello Goodbye so they spent so, like,
1: like a year doing psychedelics and then came back strong
0: <laughs> yeah and then it came back stronger than ever and yeah. then like late, it came back with a classic album every year they then went on with the White Album yep. Abbey Road and Let It Be like you right.
1: can't not exactly the low point of their career.
0: You can't touch that. They went out at the yeah. height of their career. Yep. Man. Yeah. And so, like, I thought that, like, one of the most interesting bits, to tie it back to the film before we get too carried away, I thought one of the most interesting bits about this film that they didn't quite capture was, like, how amazing would it be if one guy did all of that? Yeah, well, that's all why I was the, like, bringing the, up
1: Tame Impala. Because it yeah. feels like, how does this sound come out of one person's mind? Exactly. It
0: almost feels like it can't. Well,
1: yeah, like, a, a lot of the.
0: The Beatles. Yes, I'm a white
1: man. I love Taylor.
0: <laughs> well, they talk about. or well, Paul says like he would write a song like it's getting better, right? And John would throw in lines about how it can't get any worse, and they would literally be complimenting each other's songs like that, right? And then there are a lot of Lennon McCartney songs where one of them would really have written it, but they put both people's names on yeah. it. Like and other ones that are a lot more collaborative, and other ones where they would bring a fully formed song into the studio and just perform and the, it live, and the yeah. others would help by adding all the stuff. So George brought while my guitar gently weeps into the studio and Paul added that piano bit on it. Right. And added all the harmonies on something. And so like, oh, just, just the way in which they are so collaborative and the fact that they had one of the world's best producers, George Martin, as their sort of fifth Beatle mm. at the time, contributing all to this music makes it even more spectacular to think of someone coming up with all that stuff just by themselves in the modern day. Yeah. Because they don't have five people putting their heads together and coming up with this shit and it's not you don't really get that sense of wonder from the movie no i will say and this is
1: partially to the credit of um himesh patel's musical ability yeah um that in all three of these as a quick quick aside sure if this is a big trend of like musical phenomena getting made into movies yeah i'm never watching another one it, <laughs> you're done. Boy, it didn't start three, strongly three with the Rhapsody and it's going downhill from here. Yeah. So like imagine what the next one's gonna be yeah. and who it's gonna be about. It's gonna be like fucking guns and roses or some <laughs> shit. I in all three of those films, at some point I got chills from the music. Yeah. In all three of those films. And that's I think that was the strongest for me, that was the strongest part of yesterday, was that I definitely did still get I got that, that, that magical sense when you hear a piece of music that's so good that it just does it just does feel like it's tapping into yeah i mean a, a, as you've alluded to we were having a pretty extended conversation about like whether or not it's this this music or any music has like an intrinsic value or if it's just dependent on its culture i don't have an answer to that question but what i do know is there's certain music where, regardless of when or or where I heard it, it feels, or at least yeah. like if I'm properly listening to it, it will affect me in that way. <laughs> and some Beatles music really does that.
0: For me, it was the same where he busted out the long, and long winding, winding road.
1: road. I think w- did it as well. Maybe yesterday. <sighs> I, I really wish that they would had Blackbird because every time I hear that song, that's a pretty pretty incredible piece of music.
0: Yeah, that's but that's like, a spectacular song as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: goodbye, yellow brick road, tiny dancer. Um, Like, a lot of Queen music does that, has that effect on me, where it's just, you just do kind of... I don't know what it is. You just get chills from it. Yeah. If someone's presenting it to you in, not even in the right way, but just presenting it to you in a way that means that you're paying attention, which can just be sitting down and listening to it for the first time in a long time. It's like your body just goes like, oh, yeah, this is... This is tapping into something. This is the good shit. That feels a little bit more than just that you enjoy this. It feels like this is getting at something deeper
0: in the psyche. Well, it feels like this shared experience where you're watching it on the big screen. Yeah, and you sort of forget. I think often because you're often sitting there in your little headphones listening to this music that you know is popular, but you know it's just yours. Yeah, and then you're sitting there in the big screen with a hundred people, all blissed out listening to Hey Jude. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is like a... This is like a... Everyone loves this song.
1: I get it listening to Tiny Dancer especially because I can just hear that, like, playing in a cafe and I'll have to go and listen to it with headphones on. And it's then I get it. such an absurdly good And song. I don't <laughs> think it's like... I don't think I'm sharing that experience with people at least at that point in time. Like, maybe I'm thinking about how good it is. I'm trying to think of, like... But it's not affecting me yeah. for that reason, I think. I think it's just genuinely, like, the they're doing something with the chord progressions that just is tapping into something in my brain that it's just doing the right things. And for me, it's just like, Oh yeah, my skin's, my skin's contracting. You know what I mean? Like it's not a voluntary thing and it feels independent of the context that I'm in. It feels like maybe I could have been alive at any point in time, maybe the lyrics, but hearing that, the, the melody of that. Yeah. Um, is is pretty fucking incredible and uh a- and I did get that from this. But that I think is not a testament to this film particularly. No, I think and that, it's definitely yeah. not a testament to like the writing of the storyline or anything.
0: I think like it's that. more a testament to the quality of the Beatles music and yeah. its ability to save this gutless fucking yeah.
1: rom com. Well,
0: on that note <laughs> I
1: reckon that is pretty much all I have to say about it.
0: It's not good. I, no, I don't think so either. I was regularly annoyed and irritated by this film. Yeah.
1: When the most common experience uh, that you had during a film was being annoyed by it,
0: not a good movie. No. Like the Beatles music, I went and listened to the Beatles today all day and had a great old day. Yeah, I think uh, that's... Yeah, yeah,
1: if you're interested in this movie, just save time for yourself and money and just go and listen to Beatles music instead. That's what, that's what I think. Which I've with. said about, like, every yeah. album, but yeah. Their, early be- their best early
0: movies. album is Please Please Me. Their most interesting mid-stage album is probably either Revolver or the White Album. And then the if you want to hear...
1: definitely the more like, yeah. well-known of those two, yeah.
0: And if you want to hear, like, headphone porn listen to Abbey Road. Right. Abbey Road is like their swan song where they knew that they were fucked, but they came together and recorded one last brilliant piece of music to prove that they could because it was after they'd been arguing for like a whole year and they came out with that. Right. And it's just, oh, it's that brilliant. album. The album Abbey yeah. Road, so Brilliant. that wasn't,
1: but that wasn't their last one. Let it well, Be was so their
0: last one. Let It Be was recorded before Abbey Road. Oh, okay. but they'd just been arguing and just fucking around for like a year, and right. it didn't go anywhere. And they, that's where they really started to fucking hate each other. Was for this album that went nowhere, and they just shelved it. Right, like, fuck it, let's and do then Abbey it got Road. Mastered properly and released. Yeah. after and then the Abbey Road, they eventually after Abbey Road came out, and they'd broken up. Right. Eventually, Let It Be came out.
1: Wow. What an album to be released like after the band's broken up.
0: Yeah, like I think like John had already fucked off and it was yeah. three of them sitting around like adding the last fucking guitar things to it. Oh that's right. I there. remember
1: that it wasn't written with all of them, yeah. yeah. Well it was like written but not performed.
0: Um recorded. And it's it's like half live takes and half studio shit and they'd originally wanted to do it where like it was gonna be like all live and then they didn't and just fucked around with that and they gave it to a producer who added all these effects on it and <laughs> Yeah. To some degree like Let It Be is a sloppy mess, the album. Yep. But like the yeah. song
1: "Letter B" is great. But yeah, oh yeah, but like no, thing.
0: Abbey Road though is chronologically the right. last album they recorded. Yep. Swan Song, brilliant, mm. absolutely brilliant.
1: Okay, there you go. You got four recommendations from. I would easily say the person that any listener of this show is going to speak to that knows the most about <laughs> it <laughs> and has invested the most time into this. Yeah, that's back that's held, right. For sure.
0: That's objectively. The most correct, and most valuable reading list for you, dear listener. Yep. Those uh, are the four. Those are the four. Everything else is piss. Please, please, me, Revolver, White Album, Abbey Road. Don't fucking at me about Sergeant Pepper. What was Pepper. the
1: closest to making that list? Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper. Pepper. Okay, there you go. Yep.
0: But, yeah, whatever. Don't at you. <laughs> Don't at me. Right. All the mad Beatles fans are <laughs> like, how the fuck could you? <laughs> uh, email address, Facebook as well. The Facebook address is facebook .com slash beefstationpod The email address is beefstationpod at gmail .com Once again don't use those to criticize my objectively correct Beatles recommendations. Yeah. Give us a line if you want us to cover anything coming up in the future. Thanks for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later.
3: The long and winding road That leads To your door Will never disappear I've seen that road before It always leads me here Lead me to your door Many times I've been alone Many times I've cried Anyway, you'll never know The many ways I've tried But still they lead me back To the long, winding road You left me standing here long, long time ago Don't leave me waiting here Lead me to your